1: Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek edition, 50th episode edition. I'm Matthew edition.
2: I'm Judah edition.
1: Uh, It's episode number 50 of these Star Treks.
2: Hey, I'm sorry about that. I was a little shy about that. I kind of, I kind of elided the two words together, but I didn't Jude really edition. commit to it. Yeah, I'm Judah edition.
1: Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, uh, ben obviously is celebrating with us by giving us notes. That's right. Anybody else have any plans to celebrate with us this 50th Star Trek? Anyone got any? Mm. Anyone want to send us anything?
2: It seems like they didn't.
1: Uh, we'll take some free stuff. You just give it to Judah.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Star Trek, send me any trivia books you don't have <laughs> so I can quiz Matt. <laughs> um, I, Sick of using that one book.
1: I'm not going to spoil it. I didn't feel like the week was very good, but I guess we will. We'll see if we are in agreement on that. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, yeah. Since it's episode 50, I'll do a quick recap. This is a dumb project we do <laughs> where we compare each episode, each series, one episode at a time. So, like, uh, this will be the 50th episodes of TOS, TNG, DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise against each other with some most crazy criteria that we came up with. So...
2: Yeah, this was a project that I thought up on a slow day at my last job at a company which no longer exists. What's Alexa want?
1: That's not her, it's Siri.
2: What's Siri want?
1: I'm, something I said triggered her.
2: <laughs> Maybe you said series? Oh, each yeah. Each series? episode be. of each series? Yeah. <sighs> um, a dumb project I thought up during a slow day at work, and I thought of all of the rules and created the rubric in like 20 minutes. And uh, I presented it to Matt as a joke, and he said, no, let's do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going back and listening to some of the early brother dates, and I've gotten into the first few of these. And uh, we definitely kept saying that it would be very surprising if we were doing it five episodes in. So, 50, well, pretty good.
2: <laughs> well, here we are. Yeah. Um, the way we run this project currently is we discuss them in reverse order to their ranking from the previous week. Yep. So, last week, the big loser was Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And that means we're starting off today talking about Second Skin.
1: Uh, DS9, of course, was penalized by uh, that terrible Dax episode. It was real bad. Yeah, but that's, um, that's what landed
2: it in last place. We're doing a Kira episode this
1: week. It's a Kira episode. Uh, Kira is contacted by Elenis Graham, a Bajoran <laughs> archivist.
2: I can't believe you wrote down that woman's name. You
1: know I did not. I'm Oh, reading. you didn't? You're reading. I'm reading. Uh, who has discovered a computer record of Kira's time in a Cardassian prison camp. Uh, Kira is skeptical and for some reason crazy motivated to figure this out. Yeah. I feel like if someone had like contacted me and they're like, hey, we're... Um, we're just doing a little study on this uh, camp, and we see you were a uh, you were a prisoner there for a short time. I'd go, no, I wasn't, and they'd go, oh, that's weird. We have you uh, listed there, and I'd go, I don't know, and then that would be it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, must be another must be another Karen Reese. <laughs> yeah. I think she does actually say that,
1: but she she gets real worried about it because the records appear authentic, so she um. She talks to uh, a a guy who was a prisoner there, according to the records, and he's like, hey, I remember you. I've seen your face. Uh, I didn't think you lived, but, you know, we definitely were both prisoners together.
2: He calls her Kiri. That's kind of a nice
1: touch. Yeah, exactly. He was like, "Uh, what was your name? Uh, Kiri or something. It's like, all right, so now she's hella freaked out. She wants to go down to the planet and talk to this Alanis Grimm. And figure this shit out personally, but, oh, she never arrives. Uh, Alanis contacts the station saying, hey, uh, no one's seen Kira since she left the spaceport for, uh, for the prison camp.
2: Yeah, she'd been followed around by some uh, sinister alien with, like, a big seam down her face.
1: Yeah, one of the real obvious things they do, we're going right into the teaser, they show the alien up on the second level just being hella creepy.
2: So it's not surprising to us that she didn't show up. No, they
1: gave that one away.
2: It's only surprising to Cisco and, as you said, Alanis Graham. (laughs) Uh,
1: Let's see. Uh, Kira wakes up uh, in a dark room uh, and is warmly welcomed home by Entek, a Cardassian official. You definitely know I'm reading this. Yeah. I would have been like, I don't know, some old boy. They only say his name like maybe once, so... When she looks in the mirror, she is shocked to see that she's been surgically altered to appear Cardassian. This is just like face of the enemy in TNG.
2: Which was not that long ago in real time. Nope. And in that like one that's, maybe the previous year? I think it's a season seven, isn't it? Yeah, and so this is this would be the equivalent of season eight. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of
1: real time. In that one, Troy wakes up in a dark room and then
2: goes over the room. She's been transformed into something yeah let's not let's not spoil it oh sorry
1: uh in, tw- in 12 years when we do that episode everyone will get to know <laughs> uh all right obviously she knows she ain't no cardi um but uh this ntac guy is pretty insistent that she's um a deep cover operative who they finally brought home
2: hey it's real real quick sidetrack face of the enemy is in between aquiel and tapestry oh what a
1: great run yeah, really. Just um, that's the the Marjan claims is the best
2: season. If DS Nine has a chance to win this, it's going to be because of season <laughs> seven of TNG. Down,
1: right? down the stretch, TNG is just going to yeah. drop the baton.
2: <laughs> actually, DS 9s only three behind now. Frankly, so whatever.
1: Uh, Antec introduces her to uh, to Kenny Gamore, an officer uh, of the central command, a legate actually, who he has a full legate, who is supposed to be her dang old father. And she is his daughter, Ileana.
2: Every once in a while, the guys on Greatest Generation make an observation which is astute or funny. Mm. And in, in this episode, they noted that uh, all legates have this guy's body. They, he has what they call <laughs> yeah. leggett bod. Yeah, which that... is just skinny legs and a real barrel chest. real yeah. barrel upper body.
1: Definitely Legate Parn. He was for sure in that uh, that yeah. category.
2: Um. You know, it kind of makes sense, right? There's not that much food on Cardassia. We will learn. They got they got food problems now. These upper crust guys are getting a little chunky.
1: Yeah, they're not used to having to work it off. Yeah, and they don't have such as leg day, I guess. No, 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 no. Just a bunch of Babe Ruths walking around there with little pencil legs and big old bobs.
2: <laughs> That's right. They it are is a, a bunch of Babe Ruths. It is
1: really a Babe Ruth body. Uh, like I said, Entek says she's a sleeper agent, altered to appear Bajoran, and placed in a position of authority within the, uh, this Federation, uh, outpost, uh, DS9, as part of a long-term covert operation. Um, Legate Gamor is, uh, upset that his daughter doesn't remember him, but is reassured by Entek that her memory will return, given time. Uh, basically, Kira spends a lot of time, um, refusing the idea that she could possibly be a Cardassian agent. But then they bring in uh, a body that is supposed to be her. It's got her face and everything. And they say, this is the Bajoran terrorist, Kira Norris. This is her dead body. She uh, tells everyone the dead body's a fake, but she does begin to doubt her own memories. Um, when Gamor compares uh, uh, Kira to to her supposedly Cardassian mother, Kira angrily replies that her mother starved to death in a Bajoran prison camp. I don't know why that feels someone who ever wrote this feels it's like weird that's that that sentence got in there. Yep. Huh? Uh, after seven, I didn't even write that down. After her uh, attempting escape, um, she's interrogated by the Obsidian Order, though she provides them with false and misleading information. Uh, she does this thing where she uh, gets real sassy with them and tells them that uh, they don't they don't even let her into ops and uh, she don't know she thinks there's maybe like what does she say uh, 40 that 40, 40,000 40, people on the station yeah something like that yeah um eventually her uh, fake cardassian dad gamor offers to help her escape um but uh in doing that he reveals himself to Entek, because it turns out whoops the entire thing was supposed to be an operation targeted at this guy with the legged bod.
2: Um, which makes it which other episode?
1: Uh, that makes it the Defector? The Defector. Makes it the Defector as well. Uh, so they got both of
2: the Romulan ones. The God Romulan. damn it. You revealed which, which race was in face of the enemy. Sorry, sorry about that. I was trying to keep some mystery about S- this thing. Spoiler alert from
1: 1994 or whatever. Sorry, everyone. Um, uh, Kira's the one who comes up with it. She's like, yeah, but that doesn't make no sense. Like... Um. Anyway, it was all, it was all an attempt to uh, reveal Gamora as a, one of the dissidents that we've heard about a few times before.
2: Yeah, we saw them once before. Um,
1: because these are going to intersect. Let me go to the B plot, which is related to the A plot. It's uh, Odo and Cisco and others uh, trying to figure out what the hell happened. Um. Eventually, Garrick uh, becomes involved. He's the one who f- figures out that she's being held by the uh, Obsidian Order. And then uh, Cisco, uh blackmails him or uh, uh, extorts him into joining the rescue operation. They uh, get on the Defiant and they fly out there and they use some sensor trickery to make it seem like they, um, they some kind of, uh, what are they? kuberian C- 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 What are they?
2: Uh, I wrote it down somewhere
1: for Cuberian sure. Kubirian freighter? Something like that. And they even, like, got a hollow filter on the, uh, Communication on the on the comms, so that when they talk to the Cardassians, they appear to look like aliens or whatever. But Garrett gets them through with some super secret codes, uh, and then they show up on the planet doing a commando operation back on Cardassia. And uh, right when Entek is about to arrest the dude with the Legate bod, Odo and Sisko and Garrick bust in and uh, bust out Kira and Legate bod. Uh, and then on the way out, Garrick even kills Entek as he starts to draw a uh, a phaser. Uh, and then I guess they all go home and have a real nice time. Uh, yeah, I mean
2: the Cardassian guy scene... comes
1: with her and he's like, uh, "You're you're my real daughter now," and she's like, "And you're my number one dad."
2: Oh yeah, he gives her a bracelet or a necklace. I don't remember. <clears throat> he's he's not staying on DS Nine because they don't want to keep paying a guy. For the guy who made up this character, so he's going off with the Mathenites. Yeah, and uh, he leaves Kira with a warning not to trust Garrick.
1: Oh yeah, that's right. They're they're doing they're doing some WWF style selling of Garrick in this episode. They're selling him hard.
2: Yeah, it's almost like this episode is about Garrick, even though it's it's totally not.
1: Yeah. Uh, hey. Mm, Given that it was those two TNG episodes What is this episode
2: about? So uh, It's tough I will tell you that The writers (laughs) claim That this episode is about uh, Don't judge a book by its cover Because everything is something else
1: Yeah, I read the Memory Alpha Right And I saw all the stuff about what this guy wanted the episode to be about and who he wanted it to be. It was supposed to be an O'Brien episode. And then someone said, hey, that don't make any sense.
2: The episode turns on the moment when Kira realizes that Leggett Gamore is a member of the Underground, right? Yeah. And suddenly everything that's happened makes sense to her. Right. So here's what I have if you don't understand how a lie would benefit someone, you can believe almost anything is true. Okay. So they've almost got her coming around to believing she lived a whole other life. And I think the main reason is it nothing makes sense. She can't figure out why they would be making it up. What is the point of this whole thing, right? Because they're asking her some information about the Federation that they surely already have. Sure. For, for one thing, Garrick is on the station.
1: Yeah, it is unclear who he is working with on Cardassia, but yes, he is there.
2: But also, uh, if uh, if Vedic Barrel farts, Gul Dukat calls Sisko the next minute. <laughs> like one minute later to talk about it. It's true. Yeah, so, Dukat
1: especially seems plugged in.
2: Nothing about the plan, nothing about the, the thing makes any sense. Like there's no other motivation presented for the lie. Yeah, and so she almost believes it, but the moment she realizes what's what's going on, then then uh, I think the scales fall from her eyes. Right? Although they do have a dumb scene at the end where she's like, "Not nah, Bashir confirmed it, one hundred percent Bajoran." <laughs> like we were all going to go, "What if, dog? What yeah. if she's really a Cardassian?"
1: And I think that might be an artifact from a previous draft or something, because they did talk about how that guy initially wanted to leave it up in the air or right. something about how uh, Kira may or may not be the real Kira, but maybe it doesn't matter because now she's the real Kira or whatever.
2: So, yeah. So, I mean, that's what I gave it. If you don't understand a lie, why someone would be lying to you, you you believe almost anything. Boy, okay. But uh, so then about that take, it's not like a real strong Star Trek take, but I also couldn't immediately think of a non-science fiction way to tell the same story. Uh, it would like have you, to. You want it to be a real unbelievable lie.
1: It would have to be some kind of, uh, like you'd have to use the same situation, but without aliens. Maybe some kind of counterintelligence yeah, be, you were, deep cover. You were a
2: brainwashed Russian spy or yes. something like that, right? Which is pr- even less credible than this science fiction story, frankly. <laughs> yep. Um, so I gave it some points for that. I gave it five points total for the take.
1: Okay. Um, here's what I had. Uh, how you see yourself, uh, greatly influences how you regard others. Um, because she's been through this little thing, and this guy was willing to do all this stuff for her, and they have this genuine bond, now she has one Cardassian friend. Um, she used to have another one, but, um, he got killed on the, uh, What's the name of that? He got killed on DS Nine.
2: On the promenade. On the promenade, and then she no, had uh, no more than twenty feet from the infirmary, but she, she didn't call for help. She did do some stage acting, though. Was there? Did it, was there maybe like a foggy light, and then did it? <laughs> think was there a crane shot that pulled away? Probably with some she said, sad not jazz, Cardassian. Music. Yeah, not this Cardassian or whatever. Yes.
1: Uh, yeah. yeah, the guy who was pretending to be Gul'dar heel, right?
2: That's right. Um. man that's, by the way, Galdar Heel is such a good name. I know. That you will never forget it. You'll <laughs> never be like, what was the name of the guy? You know, he wasn't Eamon Maritza. He was the <laughs> other guy in the episode. Oh, <laughs> Galdar Heel. It's
1: actually really true. Like, I did not hesitate for a second when I put that down. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, all it took was for her to begin to see herself maybe as a Cardassian, maybe of this Cardassian daughter of this dude with a, a Cardi mom and dad. Uh, before she was like, well, okay, maybe there are some good ones. I don't know. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like I always say, stick a racist in a room with some of those people they hate, and they start to see some shit differently. It's kind of like that. Um, We don't necessarily need Star Trek for this, but the ability to have imaginary aliens with imaginary beefs makes it sort of interesting. For me, it was a five as well.
2: Okay. Uh, To round it out, Ben gave it a five. His take was, be yourself, things will work out. Does that sound like a fire (laughs) to you?
1: (laughs) Sounds like something Uh, that you'd get out of uh, any of the TGIF lineup.
2: He says this episode is one reason DS9 is good TV, but it's not iconic Star Trek. He says the plot's a good one, but it's more complex, which makes it hard to latch on to simple ideas. Boy, this is true of TOS, huh? Not complex. No. (laughs) Usually Kirk tells you what's happening about 15 minutes in, and then it just happens to him for another 30
1: Well, we'll talk about this week's soon. Yeah, that's true. I don't think it even took a few minutes. I think it was clear from the beginning.
2: Um, Um, This has the Leggett Father turning out to be a good guy, but the Obsidian Order is extra bad. Uh, But Kira still understands the humanity in the Cardis. Right. It's more of a character story than a take-driven story, and I agree with that. Yep. Uh, Whereas TOS and TNG so often have more take-driven stories, at least for the memorable episodes. I guess that's true. Yeah, I think that's true. He's a seven on execution. Damn. He says the, uh, you know, he just, he just says it's a good scheme to unmask their own dissidents. And then he talks about the time when Picard saw four lights. (laughs) So uh, that seems like, uh, like a continuity point for world building. We'll talk about his world building score in a minute. What did you give it for execution?
1: I wasn't as high on it as Ben. Um, I gave it a four and I'll tell you why. I didn't buy Nana Visitor's Performance for the whole episode. Again, that weird ambush book that I listened
2: to. Uh, it's rough that you know that it's Nana.
1: The guy always said Nana. He may just have been wrong. No, I mean, no he's right. Okay, because he would always say, Gull Duke it. So I don't yeah. know about his pronunciation. <laughs> he's one Maybe T-pole. there's a
2: difference between actors and character names where it's <laughs> real easy to look up what an, how an actor's name is pronounced and someone cares. He
1: is the famously the reason I call her T-Pole. Oh, that is true. Sub-Commander T-Pole. I didn't buy her performance during this episode. It's a shame because I think a better performance would have really mattered in this one, given that it was a character-driven episode. Mm -hmm. Could have been something that uh, tugged at the heartstrings. What with this sad old fat-legged who hates the Obsidian Order and loves his daughter. And the guest actor was actually pretty good. Um, uh the legate or Entek? The legate, not Entek. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't get her back, but he gets a new Bajoran friend, and maybe they can begin to heal each other's wounds and fill uh, those voids of missing parents and children. Like, it could have been really nice, but something about it, I felt like... And she...
2: he believes his daughter's still out there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Yeah, I feel like she was doing a lot of stage acting again, <laughs> which is my main problem with her. I think she's a better actor than most of the people on DS9, but she sometimes... She
2: goes big. She goes but big. But she's not big full time, so it's not like when Shatner goes big and you're like this is what I like about Shatner. <laughs> it's
1: like, ah, oh, he's giving us a real uh vintage Shat performance today. Right?
2: Because most of the time she's reserved, but when she goes big, you're like, oh, yeah, it's happening. She could she could bring it back a bit.
1: Um Garrick is always fun, though they didn't quite give him enough to do here. He shouts out some secret codes and Ice is a guy. I like the real psychological stuff from him. I like when he is toying with Bashir or somebody. I don't need action, Garrick. But my big complaint about this episode is, why Kira? Like, these Cardassians go through a lot of trouble for this shit. Why not some random Bajoran that they could have disappeared easier? Like, I know they still have Bajoran prisoners or whatever.
2: It is true. Any Bajoran would do. Yeah, it's strange to scheme. lure her from DS9
1: to Bajor, kidnap her, take her back to Cardassia just to expose this old man she's never met. It's
2: it, Is it possible that it's just because her face is kind of shaped like the real Ileana Gamores? I wonder. Like they just did a straight up face match and they only have the faces for like big Bajoran dissidents and they're like, that she's close enough. Maybe. It just
1: seems like given the fact that she is uh, working closely with the Federation, it seems like she must be a harder target but i mean they got her pretty easy so maybe not um yeah for me it was a four just uh the acting didn't quite get there for me wasn't really my kind of garrick and
2: uh wait i have have two more thoughts about your plot hole and i want to see if it changes how you feel about this okay number one they need to be able to uh follow her around like it's easy for an alien to trace someone around deep space 9 because it's full of aliens as opposed to on beijor or something but old simi couldn't really chase her around on or probably also it had to be someone who could like pack up and go somewhere where they could be easily i guess you could just kidnap someone well i wouldn't need to go through any of this except that it's it's kind of laying the idea the groundwork that there's something wrong with her identity the first thing
1: yeah I, okay so i think the only reason to pick kira you're you're right that I hadn't thought about how it's easier to track her because it's on DS9 and not on Bajor or something like that. But the reason I think they got her is because then they can claim that she's a deep cover operative working with the Federation. Like, it helps their story that she is somewhat important in a military or operational standpoint. Yeah, I guess
2: it couldn't be like, yeah, we've had you deep cover... um, In prison. Potato farming? (laughs) Yeah, or like one of the fucking hundreds of prisoners we still have, because we keep lying about how many
1: we have. So that's the only reason I could think, but even still, I was like, just get someone a little bit lower down,
2: someone that is not... Just get O'Brien's compromised Bajoran friend, right? Yeah, exactly. Or like whatever her equivalent is on the station. But anyway,
1: whatever. I just, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't in. I wasn't all the way in.
2: Well, I only gave it four also. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so in universe, within the universe of Deep Space Nine, there's no reason that what they're saying is true of Kira couldn't be true. We just saw them do this with O'Brien's old buddy from the Rutledge. Yeah. Like, he was just a straight Cardi infiltrator mm-hmm. with good plastic surgery and everything. Also, O'Brien himself was a clone for a whole episode.
1: Yeah, that was kind of rough. So, like,
2: there's nothing in Deep Space Nine that says this couldn't be true uh, even the fact that, the, for instance, they altered Kira's face to look exactly like a Cardassian sure suggests they could do the reverse, right? Oh, so yeah. And there's again, nothing... there's a,
1: on, on Voyager, there is a Fresca, so...
2: That's right. But the problem is, it wouldn't be playing fair for the show to say Kira has been a Cardassian this whole time. Yeah. Here we are in season three, and it turns out she was a Cardassian this whole time. And so you know it's just not true. Like, this, the show this wouldn't be the first time the show had pulled some shit. This isn't uh, Battlestar Galactica. I was going to say where old Dr. What's his name is having weird visions right from the beginning. Right.
1: I would have, uh, I almost said that would have been a Battlestar Galactica kind of thing to do.
2: Right. But it's not a deep space nine thing to do. Yeah. So that hurts the stakes of the storytelling. Because at no point do I believe that Kira is really Ileana Gamor. Yes. So the stakes then become will Kira come around to believe she's Ileana Gamor? Right?
1: Yeah. yeah. So
2: again, that lowers it somewhat. Other big problem with this episode is uh, Garrick's motivations are unclear even by his standards. Yeah. Like, what is his horse in this race? Yeah, why does he He didn't seem he didn't seem to like the resistance people before.
1: That's true. Why does he go to Bashir or whoever he goes to right. and tell them that he knows what happened to Kira?
2: He tries to play at coy with Bashir for like a one minute, but mm-hmm. as soon as Bashir's like, Dog, I am tired and I can't I can't with this right now, <laughs> he's like, okay, but okay, but it turns out <laughs> they've got Kira. The Cardassians have Kira. Yeah. And like he claims that he's being extorted into going along on this mission, but like, is that true? Did he want to go on this mission? Yeah, hard to say. Like how much of the again, nothing about Garrick it makes sense in this one. Having said that, and I know that that's a couple of big plot point problems for me. Uh, I didn't hate this episode, so I still give it four points. Um, what about uh,
1: world building?
2: Uh, world building. Uh, I gave it a two, and here's why. Okay. The main things we pick up about the the universe here is more. Conflict between the Obsidian Order and Cardassian Central Command. Right. Um, And I guess a little bit about the Resistance. So there's like continuity, but I don't think anything gets advanced. Like, I don't, I don't think we picked up anything new about how Cardassia operates in this story. And I don't think we picked up anything about the rest of the universe that this takes place in. Hmm. Okay. Like, there is a Bajoran prison camp. Right. We knew that. So I think it did a little less than usual world building. I didn't have any problems with anything that came out. It's just it's just more of the same.
1: Yeah, um for me, I give it the average three. Um Alright, well, here's what I got. New Mecca. Uh Kira is from Dakur Province, I'm sure that's been mentioned a million times. Uh, I think it
2: has, but as with this time, it's never been important.
1: The Claystrons have developed a new burn treatment Bashir went to go see. Uh, Let's see. Cardassian long-term operatives. Did this episode air before Fresca was revealed to be a Cardi spy, or did this one copy that one? And then I looked it up. This one aired in October of 94, and the Fresca one is May of 95. So this one came first in the chronology.
2: Yeah, we're pretty early in Season 3, which is Season 1 of Voyager. I'm not even sure if Fresca was really a character at this point. Yeah. Um,
1: And this question of uh, whether a transporter or a phaser was what got Kira, does this come back in Gambit? Or did this already happen in Gambit? Yeah. There's that whole thing where they're like, uh, I saw it, someone drew his phaser and shot him and he vaporized. Talk
2: Specifically you. the second one, although... Yeah. In that case, it was a phaser that is really a transporter. Looks uh, like a phaser beam, but is a transporter. In this case, they just can't quite tell from the residual energy traces or something. Right. Like, it could have been either one. They don't have an eyewitness. Uh, you forgot these gems. Uh, hasperat. That ain't new. And Horacats. I mean, I guess that is new. And Kira did kill one of them. <laughs> Uh
1: they pose as a Kuberian freighter, uh communications hollow filter uh and again this obsidian order plot to reveal Mr. Lake it here. Um So for me I-, I thought there was enough continuity and then uh some of the uh some of the other stuff. For me it was the average three. Well Ben gave it as many as six. Um maybe Ben's average for world building is not three. There's it no reason be. it should be ours, it's just where we kept settling. <laughs>
2: Yeah, 3 is uh, well again I, I think it's an emphasis on the fact uh, what these stories are trying to do. Yeah. They're not interested in building a deep rich universe. Yes. So usually when you get something it's uh they add the name of an extra dictator after Adolf Hitler and mm-hmm. then you're like, "Ah, got it." Yeah. Got it. Lee Kwang-su was a dictator. I I'm I'm on I'm on top of it now.
1: Yeah. Um By the way, Babylon 5 I was watching the other day. They'd had an excellent run of um Two reels and a fake, but then they even outdid themselves. They did one where they did two reels and four fakes,
2: nice, which was real good. Oh, I know you always love the terrorist bombing of San Diego.
1: Yeah, but they talked this time. They talked about uh, dictatorships in uh, uh, Russia in 1917 and 2013. Uh, oh, cool. And I was like, oh, neat. And then they went uh, Iraq in 2025 and the French in 2113. And you're just like, <laughs> you're like, wow, they really went for the fakes on this one. <laughs>
2: What's the year that Babylon 5 takes place in? 22 20, 6 about 2258 to 62 or something whatever. like that. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So roughly Star Trek times. Roughly TOS times. Yes. Yeah. Like maybe the Cage, not uh not any of the current episodes. Uh yeah, tan tan uniform shouty Spock era. Tan uniform yelling Spock, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um Uh, What are we on? Uh, Do do we complete Ben's?
2: He gave it a six for world building. He just talked about the Obsidian Order running things on uh, Cardassia Prime and there being dissidents and more of the Cardassian espionage techniques. So he said the same things I did, but he gave it more points and he gave it a six for characterization also. yeah, He liked this episode. Yeah, he says uh you you don't get much more than a hint that Kira might believe this stuff, even though they're going to pretty extreme lengths. He thought the father was pretty convincing and it would have been hard to fake it, so he kind of expected it to be that the father wasn't in on it. Yeah. Um and then he liked uh Garrick's mystique when uh, when Leggett uh Gamor tells him not to trust Garrick.
1: Yeah, even though he just helped him out and iced that other guy, still don't trust him.
2: Um What did you give it for characterization?
1: For me, it was a five. Um, Okay, I'll just go through it. Uh, Uncle Quark? Nah, that's gross. Don't call him Uncle Quark. (laughs) Then he's not in the rest of the episode, which is fine. Uh, Kira, kind of a Luddite about the holodeck. Makes, um, Makes some casual threats against the bartender, but that seems acceptable. Again, I don't think I would be so worried about being listed falsely in a Cardassian prison like if I knew I wasn't there. I'd be like, fucking technology again. And then I... Oh, they screwed me. And then Someone I, stole my dang identity. And then I'd go about my business. I wouldn't assume there was a plot against me or that my memory had been erased or something. But you she, would never
2: get to the state where you would call someone else who had been there.
1: Yeah, she calls that prisoner and then she's like super convinced, but I never would have called that prisoner. I just sort of like, oh, that's weird, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, Alanis, whatever your name is. Um, Yeah, but she immediately has a freak out about it. And actually, she seems kind of unconfident from the beginning. And this was one of the problems I had. Her protestations even sound really weak and kind of staged. And again, I wasn't sure if that was Nana Visitor's fault or what was happening. Like, is she worried about her memory these days? Because getting old is hell.
2: She does do... One of those things where instead of just saying, um, I don't believe any of this, she says, You'll never get me to believe this. She's <laughs> yeah. one of those two strong protestations. Yep.
1: Even if there's a fire, she'll never believe it.
2: Like the guy like the diddler in the diddling trial that I was at <laughs> who instead of instead of kind of instead of just saying, No, I didn't do that, he kept saying, I would never do that. Yeah you know what I mean?
1: I would never touch an innocent child.
2: Kira might be a diddler, I guess,
1: if you put all that together. She definitely could maybe be. Um, uh, Kira's mother was an icon painter and died when she was three. Uh, Let's see. She is extremely sassy with Entek when she's being interrogated, and she is eventually the one to figure out the Cardi plot. Uh, Garrick envies Bashir getting to go out to alien planets and hang out. I guess they don't tell him about all the bad shit that happens out there. <laughs>
2: that it's never good.
1: That it is a real fucking bummer. <laughs> that you are, you should just stay home.
2: Boy, especially on Deep Space Nine, the only time anyone has ever been to a nice planet was when, uh, Cisco took Jake and Nog camping and turned out to be a Dominion Trap. <laughs> That's
1: right, it wasn't so nice after all.
2: Uh, Garrick is
1: claustrophobic. Uh, also, he has got all the codes, dog. Yeah. He's got the updated yeah. codes. His remark about the secret codes being something he overheard while hemming a customer's trousers (laughs) is so shockingly dumb that Odo does the best small-touch acting I've seen to this point. He gives Cisco a look from behind Garrick like, is this guy for fucking real? Like, he will not cop to this shit, even though we all know he's a spy. That's why he's here. That's why he just had the secret codes. And Garrick's like, ah, oh, it's just uh, something I overheard while I was hemming some trousers. You're just like, oh, yep, shit. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. Garrick Ice is another guy, and then that old boy tells Kira to watch out for Garrick. So, like I said, he's being pushed real hard in this episode. Uh Cisco extorts Garrick for his help retrieving Kira. Tells him that this is the safest place to be on DS Nine if you're trying to. Avoid the Cardis, and he could make it so that um, he doesn't have that sanctuary anymore, or whatever. I don't know. Garrick seems pretty capable. Yeah, I kind of feel like he'd be okay if he got kicked off the station. But uh, so uh, I, I was out on Kira, um, and uh, I mean, I always like Garrick, and and Cisco was fine. To me, it was pretty average. So uh,
2: I went one higher. I gave it as many as six. I thought that um, everyone in this episode was basically fine, even tired Bashir. Yeah. Um, Obviously, and by the way, get out of my notes, because I also referred to Garrick killing Antek as icing him. Obviously, uh, Garrick icing Antek at the end was exactly correct for that character. And of course, Odo's good, good moment. Um, And I think at the end, once it comes together, that the Cardassians don't expect Kira to actually ever believe this lie. Yeah. That they're counting on her to not believe it, in fact I think her portrayal is fine Except for that big mirror scene That I think is probably the main one you objected to
1: Yeah, it was a bit much
2: <laughs> She does look look at her face in a mirror And then smash it in frustration Which is <laughs> It's super cliche And that's not her fault But that's her biggest moment in this scene Yeah, in this episode, th- let's say
1: That's what I like to call the that's moneyball acting
2: uh, did you ever end up seeing the movie Moneyball? Uh, no, right.
1: I never did. Well, Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean probably has about 12 separate scenes where he destroys something in his office, throws something, turns over a desk, throws a chair, whatever. Um, it's the kind of thing that doesn't
2: happen all that much in real life. I've never done it. I actually feel kind of bad. I should be doing that kind of thing.
1: I mean, and there have been, definitely been times in my life where I've smashed a video game controller. Yeah. But that wasn't general frustration that made me do it. I was mad at the game, <laughs> wasn't I? Was upset about something else and destroyed the controller.
2: You never kalar a glass coffee table. No.
1: No. Um,
2: I have some quick hitters. Do you care?
1: Nah, go for it. And uh, you said a six on your characterization, right?
2: Uh, I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of NTEC. Uh, for somebody who's supposedly seen this process with Kira a bunch of times and is sympathetic about how it goes, he really is frustrated easily. I know. This dude is playing like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? You don't remember yet the whole time? Yeah, it's true. He
1: says that normally it happens within hours, but he kind of reveals that late in the episode. And he's frustrated
2: yes. almost from the get-go that she doesn't remember yet. At no point does Kira ask about the non-Cardassian that's hanging out with n Yeah. Like, we never get her name or her backstory. We just see her uh, following Kira twice, and then she's in the room when Kira wakes up, and then she just fucks off. Yeah, who is
1: this uh, weird alien?
2: Uh, This body that they present to Kira is the worst piece of circumstantial evidence I've ever seen. (laughs) So, like, their claim is that they took a Cardassian and made her look like Kira in the first place. Yeah. Right? So now here's another body that looks like Kira. Wh- <laughs> like yeah. For one one logical second, like wouldn't wouldn't you say, okay, if I believe that you did this to me, this proves nothing. That's right.
1: And if I don't believe it, then this still proves nothing. And also, I would find it very hard to believe that, they, that they've
2: just been holding onto this body for 10 years. <laughs> they
1: kept that body in case they needed to prove it. Yep. It seems they needed to prove the horrible underworld thing that they just did. Exactly. It's That seems like not the kind of thing that spy agencies do.
2: It's like... Oh, I'm sorry, does she believe it because they have a serial number? Yeah. Because he asks for exhibit XYZ? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it doesn't work because she doesn't believe it. Though, I don't know. I mean...
2: What is it that gets
1: her freaked out?
2: Is it the thing the video so you, from? She eventually her mom? watches the message from herself. Ah, oh, right, right. Yeah. From from the real. And this is never explained. Is that video doctored? Because what if the dad watched it? Because not only does the person look like Kira looks as a Cardassian, it's got Nana Visitor's voice. Yeah. So explain that. Yeah. That don't make no sense. <sighs> Alright. Shit, am I going to have to deduct another point from execution? <laughs> that really don't make no sense. Either that
1: or that was some super good evidence, because it does have her voice. If it's,
2: if it's doctor, despite the fact that her dad keeps saying, watch the video, watch the video, what if he watched it?
1: Also, I'm just going to have like, to say oh, it. Oh, that's not
2: how she sounded.
1: Well, I'm going to have to say it then. She must have sounded like her, because the dad's in the room with her the whole time. It doesn't go, that doesn't sound oh, like that's her. A good
2: po- that's a very good point.
1: The dad never goes, that doesn't sound like my daughter.
2: So I guess and there's there's not like a moment at the beginning where Kira's like <laughs> and they're like ah oh, yeah you as your memory comes back your voice will change too.
1: The voice adjustment is a common part of the procedure. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um so yeah. that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a big plot hole. <laughs> Garrick uh, must be... No, 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 oh, hold,
1: hold on. that's That finally explains why they had to pick her, because her voice matched.
2: Because she had an identical voice. It
1: had little to do with her appearance and much to do with her voice.
2: Okay, yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. They did a voice print analysis, and they're like, oh, shit, you know Major Kira? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't know her? Go to Cotton her. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we gotta get her. She sounds just uh, like turns out girl. it sounds just like her, so we're gonna have to do that, and that's gonna risk getting the Federation involved. Anyway, uh, Garrick must be spending some real capital here by Mm. burning these obsidian order codes i mean he can't have too many of these valid fucking codes no matter how many pairs of pants he hems. right that this is a real cost to him
1: i mean you think so these are current codes that work and that guy is going to get fired and he's going to say all i know is a cardassian showed up on the screen and he gave me the right codes
2: Oh, no. No one on that ship is going to tell anybody that they had that encounter. <laughs>
1: They're just going to erase that ship because from the logs? Because that's
2: specifically part of Garrick's order, uh, is to yeah. erase it from the logs and never speak of it. Well, and apparently, that's what a code priority red Obsidian Order code does, because uh. that dude is terrified. Just like when Quark's friend entered the Obsidian Order
0: <laughs> and the ship Zalower ID went off. in the
2: thing, and he's like, I'm going to lose my fucking job. <laughs> I looked up a secret code, I'm losing my goddamn job.
1: Well then it seems like no one's ever gonna know that Garrick did this.
2: Uh well the well here's the thing, Garrick Isis his tech, but there's two other Cardassians in there, and he just leaves them. Yeah, that's so true. someone knows that the Federation was there. Someone's gonna go uh back up to the Obsidian Order and tell an Tane or whoever uh, yeah, Cisco busted in and he fucking threw this duffel bag down on the ground. And we were all like, that duffel bag looks empty. Anyway, it's Odo. The <laughs> duffel then, bag became an octopus. It was real rough. And then uh, Garrick disarmed everybody, but then Entek pulled another. Uh, you know Entek. You know what you he's know, like. You know how Entek you know is. He can't be cool for like one minute. Yeah. And then Garrick iced him. Died the way he lived. Anyway, I don't know what's up with Cardassian airspace and why how the Federation was suddenly there and uh, why he could beam down and beam out in uh, complete security and there weren't like 5 galor Galar-class ships chasing <laughs> him. Yep. Maybe he's on that new cloaking ship of his. Seems weird that he'd take it on a personal mission like this, but I don't know. But, yeah, you know, I he
1: seems like kind of a cowboy out there. I don't know. Maybe someone should look into it. That's all I'm saying.
2: Uh, and then my last thought in the quick hitter section is I think Garrick is the only character on Deep Space Nine who can vaporize someone. I think I'd, if any other character did it, you'd go, oh.
1: Oh, yeah. I oh, mean, he did a murder. I mean, you and I know that O'Brien is sort of involved in the murder business tangentially
2: from TNG. <laughs> he, I mean, he's the guy you definitely want on your side if you did a vaporize or didn't even turn it all the way up to vaporize and just, just left a fucking dead body <laughs> hanging out in a shuttle.
1: Just left a corpse that you need the transporter chief to get rid of. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess if I saw him do it, I would just assume it was a natural progression for him. But uh, yeah, That's anyone true. else? I mean, I give. I don't want to look at Jake doing that for sure.
2: No, 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 no. Wouldn't be. That's not wholesome. Yeah. Jake's the guy who teaches his Ferengi friend how to read.
1: That's right. He ain't fucking going out there vaping anybody.
2: Unless his double girl girlfriend is a real bad influence, she might disappear.
1: It's true. Yeah. Uh,
2: I give best actor to Garrick the Vaporizer and worst actor to Entech, giving off um, what I felt were pretty obvious David Warner vibes.
1: Mm. He was uh, modeling his performance. I felt like he was modeling his performance. Hard to blame that guy. They Chains told him, command. come on to our space show and play this alien. David Warner played one. Like, That's true. I, I'd look it up. <laughs> like, I don't know what a Cardassian is. Uh, yeah, okay. I think I got it. I watched that episode with David Warner. I think I got it. what do you want. <clears throat>
0: uh,
2: ben. Uh, Nope. Ben was just looking forward to the week after he saw this.
1: All right. So uh, I got some uh, quick ones
2: Yeah, give them to me
1: Again, that spooky alien up on the balcony right before the opening credits made me laugh out loud They just always <laughs> give the game away
2: DS9 is the student filmiest of all of them it's... Like, say what you want about Enterprise, but it's never this
1: No, it's never the guy with the masks from last week
2: No, it's always like, oh god, ah, oh, they've got, how uh, oh, she's covering her breasts with her hands <laughs> in this one That's right <laughs> Uh oh, she jumped out of the ceiling and her shirt came off. Fuck me. It's like But it's never student filmy like DS9 is.
1: I just don't know why they always give away the game. Like, so we knew from the before the teaser was over that Kira was Kira and this was a plot. Right. Like why do that? Anyway, um <laughs> This old boy was pulling a Babylon 5 and was hiding behind the wall while Mr. Leggett went on and on about his dissident movement. Nobody peeked around the corner once to see if they were alone as they start talking about how ah it's fine we're in the we're dissidents and we we'll, you know we'll get rid of, we'll get we'll get you safe and it's not a big deal and then she goes over she's like wait a minute that doesn't make any sense and they go through the this whole This is thing. my
2: dissident friend I've used him 27 times <laughs> yeah. to smuggle people off world
1: and it's like Antex literally just right outside the door yep Ugh,
2: that's bad staging um Actually, not even sure you see him come in through the door. He might just step in from off-camera. <laughs> he was in the room.
1: Um, that was the first changeling trick we've seen in a little while, I think, from Odo. They've been saving yeah. those dollars.
2: Yeah, they have been saving it up.
1: Um, okay, so maybe that little commando raid could have been explained away by the Federation as a, a rescue op for their kidnapped colleague. But killing that Obsidian Order guy... Like, that could have become a very bad time if they had been caught trying to escape at that point. Yeah, for sure. It's a real diplomatic incident.
2: They did a murder on a guy. Well, first of all, they fucking snuck into sovereign territory. Sure.
1: Oh, I'm saying no matter what, they're in trouble, but maybe the Federation bargains for them at that point because they're like, you did kidnap our major over here, Major Kira, and they went to go retrieve him. Yeah, we shouldn't have done that, but, you know. Um, Mistakes were made on both sides. But then when they... They vaporized that dude. It's like, ooh. If you're caught at that point, then you're kind of up shit creek. Though I think Garrick is a no whole
2: what. He was a whole, I don't know, they don't say his rank, but let's assume a gull, probably, yeah. based on what we've seen of the Obsidian Order.
1: I suppose Garrick was fucked either way, if they're caught. Um, And then in the end, uh, how very nice that this Cardi guy is super reasonable and doesn't hate this Bajoran girl at all. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's good.
2: That's nice. Yep. Yeah, doesn't resent her for not being his daughter returned to no,
1: him. Seems like he's really into
2: her. They're just good friends. So that's good. Gives her the daughter's dead mother's necklace. Yeah, it's actually kind of weird. I don't yeah, think he really what... thinks his daughter's out there. Yeah, maybe he doesn't. He <laughs> says he does, but you're right. Maybe he knows. I don't think he does.
1: Uh, that's all I had for Quick Haters. I don't know how you wanted to do it. Do you want to do the updated actor rankings after each episode? You know, let's, you wanna... let's
2: uh let's do that so this is a uh, week 50 so we're taking another look at the actors yeah uh for ds9 uh we went ahead and did these rankings off the air there's really not that much different from the last ranking actually the order of the people being ranked is exactly the same with the Uh, difference being that we've also inserted Garrick, because he's now been in enough episodes, so he is now slotted in at a tie for number one with Quark. Okay,
1: that's what I was going to say. So I have him at one and you have him at two. Yeah, I think um,
2: Garrick has a much easier job because he is playing Mysterious. Yes. And Enigmatic. And Quark has had to carry some more challenging ideas, including in in, uh, recent times. Hey, maybe uh, the Federation's Opinion of the Ferengi is kind of bullshit, and you're all racists, yeah. But what's so important? I have Quark ahead of Garrick. Um, we also have a, some differences lower down, but uh, not significant. So, my ranking is Quark, Garrick, uh, Kira, and Odo, and your top four are Garrick, Quark, Odo, and O'Brien. With Kira coming in five, where I have Cisco, they're actually pretty different. <laughs> we agree at the bottom yeah. that Bashir, Nog, Jake, uh, Dax, and Vedic Barile are the worst. <laughs> I was
1: going to say, what matters is that Dax is still broken up the rear, so who gives a shit? Yeah,
2: <laughs> and um, and that's the order. So Quark and Garrick we currently have tied for first, Odo in a clear second, Kira in third, O'Brien fourth, Cisco fifth. Then Bashir, Nog, Jake, yeah. and Dax and Burrell tied for the bottom.
1: I think, as usual, it comes down to what they're being used for. Cisco has not been used very much for the things that, clearly, Avery Brooks likes to do. Yep. Sometimes he shows up and he's engaged and you go, oh, this is kind of cool. And a lot of the time, he's nothing. So
2: It's basically always when Jake is there.
1: Yes, exactly. He wants to play Dad. He doesn't really want to play Captain. Yeah. That's how this goes. Um. Okay. So, moving on. Next was... Uh... Voyager managed to avoid fifth place last week.
2: it just eked out fourth place last week um so that means next up we're gonna be talking about <coughs> futures end part two. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm not going to lie, I didn't hate
2: cashmere backwards. <laughs> that was kind of interesting. <laughs> it's like the one trick they don't use yeah. is backmasking.
1: That was not that was not bad. I kind of liked that. Um,
2: That's the part that says I am a traveler of both time and space. Ah. Uh, you see what I did there? I
1: do. I. You don't have to be that... Uh, you don't have to put that much work into that part. I mean, uh, I appreciate it, but...
2: Listen, all I could... The other thing I could have done is look up what was actually popular in 1996 and just played... I don't know. baby one more time. <laughs> that Genie seems... in a bottle. Just played Genie in a bottle. Yeah. Something. That's what I should have done. Yeah. It was a bad year anyway.
1: Um, all right. So, look, this is part two. You remember what happened in part one. They, uh, they accidentally went back to 1996 because of some time hijinks. Yep. Uh, it ends with, uh, Microsoft, the company Microsoft, <laughs> um, uh, stealing the doctor and uh, a lot of information from Voyager and Voyager, um, <sighs> having some crewmen still on the ground in the form of, uh, Dave Coulier, Tom Paris, Tupac Tuvok, um, doing some shit with, uh, Sarah Silverman. So, um, so it starts off with, uh, Tom Paris and Sarah Silverman having a, a fun chat, talking about, uh, what Tom Paris's mission really is or whatever. And he tells her to stop asking him all these questions because she's making it harder because he can't play it cool. So the more questions she asks him, the more he desperately wants to tell her all this stuff because he's not good at this.
2: No, this is not his strong
1: suit. And he just admits it. He just goes, stop asking me these questions. I'm, I'm not strong enough not to tell you. Which we know, because again, in their first conversation, he walked in and announced that he was. Uh, he talked about he went to
2: Starfleet Academy, Starfleet
1: Academy, and all this shit, and
2: it's an East Coast school.
1: <laughs> Fucking asshole. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Tuvok brings some some chili dogs, or whatever, for breakfast, and yeah, uh, and, a burrito and a burrito, and three Goliath gulps. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, they're coming up with a. A new plan on the fly down there. They're going to try to kidnap uh, old uh, Starling of Microsoft. Chrono works, but Microsoft. Um, uh, Meanwhile, back on Voyager. um, uh, Okay, let's see. Oh, that was a weird noise that just popped up. Thank you, uh, Asian drama app. Um, Voyager is in orbit of Earth. Uh, in the ship's briefing room, the senior staff has gathered. Shikote mentions that Starling managed to download almost 20% of Voyager's computer core while they were trying to beam uh, the time ship um, up to uh, to Voyager.
2: And because Voyager doesn't know how computers work, information that has been downloaded from the computer core no longer exists in the computer core. Yeah, it's
1: gone. That's We've it.
2: seen this before. This is not the first time Voyager is acted this way he gone and took it from them <laughs> um
1: so while torres is trying to fix that uh some of the things are a little bit harder to replace like uh the doctor who again was downloaded um let's see uh, uh voyager's weapons are still offline two of and paris are missing somewhere in la and uh, they've been able to confirm that uh braxton braxton's hypothesis is correct about uh the If Starling launches this timeship, it's going to blow up the uh, solar system in the 29th century. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see. Even if Starling's a genius, as Taurus points out, he's not a trained pilot, and the, so he's going to rip up the space-time continuum or whatever. Um, so they're still trying to figure out a way to capture this timeship. They end up working with uh, Tuvok and Paris on the planet on a crazy plan to lure him out so they can tag him, basically, and transport him
2: up. Uh, meanwhile... Because they can't use the ship's transporter, though.
1: Yes, they can't use the, uh, the ship's transporter still. They, they'd have to do that thing where they dip down real low and get on everyone's uh, video cameras again. Um, but anyway, meanwhile, Starling's playing with the Doctor. He's uh, showing him that he can torture him and stuff because he's within five seconds already way better at engineering
2: than anyone <laughs> from Voyager or anyone from Starfleet. Because, you know. Comp- yeah, he did program this hologram he, he, that he's never seen before to feel pain.
1: Yep, with like three keystrokes. Um, uh, but he also has uh, some technology from the 29th century for the Doctor. It's kind of a hard light hologram from uh, Red Dwarf yep not the first time <laughs> yep it allows him to uh, uh, go out and about with people and uh, uh, have uh, fist fights in moving cars and stuff like that um, so uh, anyway the plan is to have what's her name uh, rain call Starling and tell him that she's in trouble and that he has to come personally to uh, uh, pick her up so that they can figure out what to do next um he goes down there with the doctor, uh, obviously aware that this is some kind of trap, and he lures her into his car instead. Um, let's see.
2: Uh, maybe you can help me out with this one. So they still beam him up. So Tricote and Torres have to go down in a shuttle. Right, that's how they're going to get The shuttle has a transporter, and this is the first time they've ever thought of this That's right, yes. (laughs) So they beam him up using the shuttle. Uh, It doesn't go quite right because he's got weird technology, so it takes him like, it takes him about five minutes before he beams into Voyager instead.
1: Yeah, he's trying to disrupt Uh, their transporter.
2: And Shmolus and Rain bust out of the car, and the henchman, what the fuck's his name, Dunbar or something?
1: He's the dummy who would use the weapon as a plan A when he was told not to use the weapon
2: unless it was an emergency. Uh, he drives back to the place and, like, gets in the ship and activates a thing to beam Starling back, right. is how it ends up going. And uh, also, the weird device, the tricorder, Janeway says, that he was using to disrupt the transporter beam from the shuttle makes the shuttle crash.
1: Yeah, and uh, Chakotay and Balana crash in some uh, weird uh, cult compound or something.
2: Yeah, it's the, a militia compound.
1: Yeah, they got some some hicks in there who are uh, worried about the government coming to take their shit or whatever. Did you guess that those guys were in Arizona?
2: Because that's not was not the vibe I was getting.
1: I got them. some real cornfield vibes from that place.
2: They needed it to be somewhere that you could drive to yes, from from
1: LA. <laughs> L.A. Where all this dumb shit with Tupac and uh, sorry Tupac, but they Tupac didn't and... just put
2: them in like Indio or one of the shitty or, or like you know. I just outside San Bernardino or something, right?
1: Yeah. Had to be all the way in Arizona so that uh, they could theoretically drive over there. Uh, yeah, so after that shuttle crashes, uh, Chicote and Balan are um, mm, confronted by those dumb hicks who claim that the government's out to get them. Uh,
2: uh, let's see. You were saying? <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so Janeway has a confrontation with Starling on Voyager before he beams back, and he says that he's rigged the timeship to explode and turn Los Angeles into a smoldering crater if they try to beam it out again. Then his satellite catches him and he beams back, and that makes him start to immediately launch the fucking timeship. Right. So what happens here is, uh, Paris and Rain chase the timeship, which they think is moving in a semi-truck. Out to an airfield in the VW van. Right. Meanwhile, uh, the feds have seen, have figured out where Chakotay's shuttle crash landed, and that's caused them to come raid this compound. Mm -hmm. But uh, Tuvok and Schmollers get to the compound in time, despite the fact that it's in Arizona. Right. To stop, they they stun all the feds with a phaser. Then Schmollers goes in to the basement where Chakotay and Balana are being kept. These old boys shoot at Schmollis harmlessly with a shotgun. Right. Uh, Then then he phasers them all. They get the shuttle repaired. Tuvok's been fixing the shuttle. They fly over in time to stop the semi-truck from ramming the van by blowing (laughs) it up with a phaser. Killing that guy. For sure. Killing him dead.
1: And yet another idiotic action sequence.
2: Yep. But whoops. The time ship wasn't there at all. That he just put a fucking beacon in there so that they'd chase this guy around. Uh, Starling just blasts the time ship out of the side of his building and uh, heads off into space and goes to warp. Voyager chases him, prepares to fire a torpedo manually, which is dangerous in some way. We're told it was a way has to go down into the torpedo tube to do it.
1: Yeah, make a meaningless
2: sacrifice or whatever. Right, exactly uh reminder for some reason they're pretty convinced that this timeship is the only way they can get back to the future uh but they decide to shoot it as it opens the rift the timeship blows the fuck up uh Janeway gets all burned but she goes back up to the bridge all of a sudden the timeship reappears but here's young captain Braxton and he's like hey we detected that you guys shouldn't be here yeah you're we not have, in the right we place we have scanners in the future you guys did bad yeah uh we're sending you back but we got a temporal prime directive, so you got to go back to the fucking Delta Quadrant. Yeah. Um, and they're keeping the mobile hollow emitter, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, did Braxton, Braxton must not have known about that part? He did.
2: I guess his scanner's not that good, huh?
1: <laughs> well, also, she makes a real feeble attempt to negotiate. She's like, "Hey, maybe we could go to the future, but stay at Earth." And he's like, "Nah." And she goes, "Yeah, okay." Yep. Uh, so yeah, they gotta go right back where they were. Uh, into the Delta Quadrant or whatever. Uh, thanks for your help. When I was trying to close that Asian drama thing that popped up, the uh, update, <laughs> I accidentally also closed my uh, a lot of my browser. So I oh no, to, I was scrambling <laughs> to get back. Um, so what was uh this motherfucker part two about?
2: Uh, so it's not about anything. Sure. But I cobble, I salvaged, I a cobble to take out of it. I got something. That's noble of you. Yeah, um, selfishness is the enemy of mankind. Janeway asserts to Starling, and I guess that means it's true, even though I don't think it can be, that no one in her century would risk the future to gain a personal advantage. Obviously not true. There's nothing but bad guys. By the way, future full of bad guys? Yeah. Sitting right next to her as she tells him this? Tom Paris, who was in jail. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um. And Starling says he can't care about what happens in the 29th century. He's got to keep this shit going. Uh, And at the end, she's going to blow up their only way home and take a nasty burn to save the future, right? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, That's only a three for me, because I don't think anyone argues the opposite. Uh, There's no one that thinks selfishness is good except a cartoonish villain.
1: Yeah, I agree. That is not... It's a low bar. Yeah. Um
2: and it's a cooked take but that's that's not a take problem that's an execution problem
1: i uh i also cooked a take but i was a little bit happier with it okay um here's what i thought if enough people benefit from an immoral or unethical decision is it really wrong like is there a level of benefit that you can get from something before the initial immoral or unethical action stops being wrong so Starling's
2: claim is that he his technology has benefited the future and created Janeway's right history Microsoft additionally, this is the motivating factor that causes Braxton to come back in time in part one and just try to blast Voyager out of the fucking sky, yeah
1: um yeah, so I mean. The computer revolution uh, revolution that was uh, uh, created by Starling in the 20th century by stealing that time ship from the 29th century and stripping it for tech. Federation considers that a bad thing, but would there even be a Federation if it hadn't happened? I was mad when I came up with it that it was actually a viable thought exercise because this episode is nasty old garbage.
2: It It is a wet fart for sure.
1: But again, that's not the take's problem, that's execution's problem. I actually gave the take a six.
2: It's not a Star Trek take,
1: no, it could be done anywhere. that's true
2: uh no, I'm sorry, I specifically mean it's anti-Star Trek
1: uh so yes they would your say, take
2: boils down to the ends justify the means. yeah, there
1: are a lot of uh, uh, uh
2: Boy Scouts um, yeah, and Picard Martin would run universe. his mouth for 15 minutes about this, I think
1: but would Picard okay, but would Picard sacrifice all of Starfleet? The history that I he's mean, come
2: to know, or would he consider that the proper history? Obviously not. He wouldn't even sacrifice Wesley Crusher for that disintegrator.
1: <laughs> That's right, but he would. But he were would. they were they going
2: to kill him with poison? They were going to kill him with poison, I but
1: think. But you're right. He'd make an excellent
2: speech. He would give a real good speech <laughs> about it, about how what he was doing was bad, but sometimes you had to do bad. That's right. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Real life is complicated. Um, no, it's not a sci-fi take either, but it's also not a... Specifically a Gene Roddenberry. It's specifically not a Roddenberry take. Yeah.
1: Uh, Ben had it as a two. A uh, timeship and a big-ass ego don't mix. Starling and Braxton uh, both have the ego and hubris to think they can just handle whatever. It takes a level-headed crew, which I assume is Voyager in this case, to unfuck everything. I guess it's supposed to be. Yeah, they're usually not that level-headed, but I guess compared to these two f- fucking absolute zeros, uh, they count.
2: Man, speaking of which, he gives it a
1: zero for execution. <laughs> He says he'll just talk about the new travesties that Voyager has brought to the small screen in this episode. Yep. Now it's okay that everyone sees the dock and phasers and shit. Also, if they had a shuttlecraft that they could use to arm up and take out the timeship, like seems like that would have been easily an option.
2: Yeah, like they could have launched a couple more. Yeah, like they could have just had a bunch of them waiting in space for that fucking like, get up there. Go ahead, launch it. <laughs> we know that that timeship ain't that powerful.
1: Yeah, it was not. They didn't do a
2: number on Voyager, certainly um right so the by the way not only the transporter is broken but voyager's weapons are broken which is why they don't just shoot it with a fucking phaser
1: yeah and he says they do eventually use the shuttle but now to blow up an 18 wheeler
2: yeah that was dumb
1: yeah um and then the 29th century has scanners that tell them when something is out of place then they never discovered that this timeline was fucked and needed rescuing long before this so this is
2: the problem, right? Yes. Because the moment that they activate the scanner, they should know about the time ship. Yeah, they shouldn't have to wait until the fucking thing. Like, oh no, it got to the future and blew up Earth before we could do anything about it. Well, that doesn't make any fucking sense.
1: It seems like they're being pretty selective as well, where they're saying mm, this timeline's fine, though.
2: Yeah, the timeline
1: where we exist
2: is fine. This is again. This is why Star Trek should stay out of time travel. I agree. Like, don't do time travel unless you've really, 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 really thought about time travel.
1: And these guys don't Like a lot. These guys don't put that much thought into anything that they write, so
2: They don't even, a lot of times they don't even bother to say we could but we won't because They just pretend like they can't. Yes. Most of the time
1: Yeah, so Ben gave it a zero. I uh, I I gave it a one Um, one premise not really explored <laughs> Quick quick conversation when he's briefly captured by Voyager about uh, what his motivations are and why he's doing it. And then they don't really care that much about it after that. Um, I hate the idea that all of the Star Trek technology, and then further, all of the technology we have in real life today, uh, they are retconning and saying it's become some goddamn... It's because some future tech crashed on Earth.
2: Honestly, it's a lot like the big fuck you they gave to the Native Americans um <laughs>
1: Where the Native Americans were, uh, where they were some dang old aliens or talking to aliens Some aliens
2: visited them because yeah. they had, they were the noble savages, even mm-hmm. then, and they gave them the fucking, I forget what they gave them, the gift of fire? Did they just straight up give them fire?
1: <laughs> they gave them the gift of... They gave
2: them, they gave them a weird, they gave them a weird ability to see a vision of clouds if you're Chakotay.
1: Yeah, they gave them, uh, they gave them some great legends about, uh, snakes and scorpions and things.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's see. Rain sucks as a character. Starling sucks as a character. Tom Paris sucks as a character. Chakotay sucks as a character. Was this whole episode just a way to introduce the doctor's mobile emitter? (laughs) Was literally, did they backward, they traced that backward from, what if the doctor had a cool mobile emitter? And then they're like, okay, how did he get it? And then that's why we have this?
2: Yeah, but like, legit, at the end of this episode, are you certain they're ever going to use it again? You're using future knowledge? something
1: about the way he tells her that now he has the ability to travel around. He should talk about getting some quarters. And I went, Oh, they are going to send him on fucking adventures. Aren't they?
2: Yeah. Uh, at the time, I think he hoped that he would get to keep his admitter, like the actor Uh and go on adventures. But it wasn't clear that okay. it was going to happen.
1: Yeah, I guess I would assume it would because I would hate that. And so I would assume they would do it. Yes. <laughs> I would assume that it was like a, when you know Data's going to get a lot of dumb shit to do and yep. you're going to hate it.
2: Oh, you're like, oh, they introduced a restriction that makes a character marginally interesting. Oh, okay. Never mind. Forget <laughs> I, the restriction.
1: It's like, uh, spoiler alert, what will happen with Bashir and the way he was genetically enhanced. And oh, then, God. Why do you keep doing those? <laughs> And then that will become everything. After that, and you're just like, ah, son of a bitch. Um. Anyway, I was gonna say if that was the case, that this was all just a story to introduce the mobile emitter, I'd almost feel better about the episode. (laughs) Because if this was meant to be like a real thing on its own, they they really missed by a lot.
2: No, dog. You know that this episode was. What if we did Star Trek four, but ten years later? Yeah,
1: it's that's unfortunately the truth.
2: And without any of the charm.
1: Finally. The action sequences in this episode were beyond pathetic.
2: Okay, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, this is usually the part where we propose, uh, fixes. How, would you have liked this episode better if it had been full of the music from Star Trek 4? If it was just like all the time. <laughs>
1: the music is awesome. And, um,. Well, look, there's lots of things about Star Trek 4 Sorry There's lots of things about Star Trek 4 that this episode does not have
2: Yeah, they don't go No one orders a Miller Lite at a pizza place
1: Uh, isn't it a Michelob? Fuck, you're right, it is a Michelob Isn't that advertising? I think Michelob advertising is all over that movie Um, no, they don't have For one thing, they don't have humor There's none no. of the, he did too much LDS in the 60s uh do you like tell? Well no,
2: they they try like she tells uh, she tells Paris that he says things slightly wrong. But, yeah, but like it's not f- we don't see it. Yeah, and it's, it's not, not funny when he says groovy in the nineties.
1: It's not funny when she says that Tuvok is a freakosaurus. Oh my god. I almost fucking puked.
2: Oh god. <laughs> and then when Someone wrote that down.
1: Like it was nineteen ninety six. They could just like know what people in nineteen ninety six said. Yeah. You don't have to make one like, up.
2: Hey, we had the word dipshit. Yeah. yeah I know you like, can't say it on Voyager, but.
1: Does that guy ever crack a smile? What a dipshit. That's that what a you say. Dipshit.
2: <laughs> that guy's a real douchebag.
1: Yeah, there's no like, um, do you like Italian food? No. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. We love Italian food. <laughs> Where Spock doesn't know how he's supposed to answer. Yeah. Anyway. That
2: movie is so good because Spock's not normal yet.
1: Yeah, he's a real fucker weirdo.
2: And by the way, he doesn't play it big. No, he, he plays it like a confused weirdo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that's, but that's always been my favorite Star Trek. I know people like two. Well, this one wasn't
1: that. Again, it was a no. one for me on execution. Just bad. Just, as, just really
2: very bad. Uh, I gave it as many as three. Whoa! Uh, the Militia Compound is a big time waster here. Okay. It does nothing. You don't need this plot at all. You That's could just true. have Chicote and Torres launch in the shuttle 10 minutes later, or, like, there's nothing. He could just, t- the ship could be ready to take off as soon as he gets there. After the guy beams him back, maybe the ship's already prepped for launch. Like, you don't need the militia compound at all. Yeah. Uh, I do not understand at all why rain has fallen for Tom Paris so quickly.
1: It, it's He is horrible, and she is horrible.
2: Yeah. But I guess that's TV. <clears throat> I'm not sure anything about the ending makes sense. Like um, Braxton is restored, yeah. but Voyager's still there in the past. The Doctor still has the Hollow emitter from the old time ship. Yeah. So, like, are things fixed on Earth or aren't they? Because they left a phaser and a communicator <laughs> down there, and an old homeless man. The ship man. was spotted. And what? And an old homeless man. And, and old homeless Braxton Don't no bother to pick him up Like is he just still so down like,
1: there Or did he get like Warped back into young Braxton What
2: happened there Yeah like Were things fixed Or weren't they mm. And again A big problem with this Series of episodes Is the idea that Voyager has no way To get home Except to get their hands On that time ship Is ludicrous Yeah but I guess if you let Voyager time travel, then at some point someone's going to go, why don't they just go back to where the caretaker used to be and then go back in time there? Yeah. And then fucking go back through the fucking hole. Yes. So that's, again, more reason time travel should just be left out of Star Trek entirely.
1: Was there anything you liked about this episode?
2: It wasn't twisted. <laughs> Like really the only the only reason I gave it as many as 3 points is cuz I've actually seen Voyager do worse.
1: Yeah, it's true. They're not good at anything.
2: Like uh not every because the characters spend less time trying to pretend like they belong in the past. They're it's less terrible than in the first part. That's true. Like uh Rain is on to Paris, so he stops pretending. Tuvok doesn't have to pretend at all in this episode. Yeah. The big joke, uh, Tuvok's big contribution to this episode is he buys too much breakfast.
1: He buys a lot of burritos and things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she'd already seen his ears in the last one. She's seen
2: his ears, right? So no one has to act like they're in the past. Uh, Janeway's back on the ship. She's not walking around in her white, uh, Chakotay's not wearing his thing, his whole thing.
1: Yeah. And actually, you know what? As much as the first episode was just plot, this one was even more just plot. It really was just plot. They needed to wrap
2: this shit up. Uh, well they wanted to make it a four parter. I don't know if you knew that
1: about this. I would have killed myself if even one more second of this happened.
2: <laughs> oh, but you but we missed the scene where Tuvok and Paris were trapped in a convenience store when a gang busted in. <laughs> a a scene that Brandon Braga probably yeah. regrets not having had the chance to, to write. Yeah, like you said. Or uh, to, to perform.
1: Tuvok could've uh, talked street to them or whatever.
2: I mean that's what it would have been, right? Oh, my god would have been a lot of gazza, uh, my brother. It would have really, it would have been very gazza. Mm-hmm. So, uh, frankly, the characterization—you know—people were more like their characters. Although I didn't give it a great score there either. But last week was so terrible. That's true. It's just like again, we're getting out of this dumb episode, so I had more enthusiasm for it than being like, "Oh man, we're only going to get halfway through this caper."
1: Well, you're not wrong about it, that. It is great to leave this yeah, one behind. One.
2: Um, uh, Ben gave it a zero for world building (laughs) He's really not enjoying this one Asking how can it be world building When it's current history And and also we covered all the new stuff In the last episode Uh, I gave it a two Okay We learn a few things about the 29th century Okay We learn about the temporal prime directive That's probably the first time those words have been said
1: um, yeah, I'm guessing... Not because
2: we've seen it in Enterprise, but, I mean, in real lifetime.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh We learned that they scan the past looking for incursions. Apparently they don't do a great job, but at least that facility exists.
1: Yeah. Maybe they just make snap, snap judgments.
2: And then I, like you, you have to give some credit for the mobile hollow emitter because it'd be wild if they just forgot about it. Yeah. So, I gave it as many as two for world building.
1: I also have it as a two. I've got, uh, let's see. Um... Uh, okay, so Starling has a holo simulator?
2: Oh, yeah, he can make holograms in his 1996 office. I guess that's future tech, too, huh?
1: He didn't want to sell that shit?
2: Yeah, that was something he didn't think was saleable, apparently.
1: Like, because I remember 1996, and we didn't have those. Like, why We didn't, didn't he...
2: even have the Pepper's Ghost Tupac <laughs> performing at Coachella? <laughs>
1: that's right. Yeah, we had nothing in 1996, so why was he Bogarding that shit? Where is it? Speaking of 1996... This is a third rail question, I know, but (laughs) what do we suppose happened to the Great Eugenics War?
2: Oh, yeah, this is what it should have been happening, right?
1: I'm very confused because they told us 1996 was when Khan was forced to leave the planet after the Giant Eugenics War. That's correct. Ow, that didn't seem to have been happening.
2: Yeah, it turns out 1996 looked just like our 1996, except uh, Microsoft was called Works. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, anyway, I know I shouldn't even bring it up, but it, it occurred Oh, to also,
2: me. no one is at the Griffith, Griffith Park Observatory. You can just go there. It's always empty.
1: <laughs> it's, it's always empty, especially on Mondays when everything's closed. Yeah, that's
2: right. Um, yeah, you're right. It's a real big third rail question. Uh, they, I don't know what happens with the eugenics war. Does it get addressed? It must get addressed in Enterprise, because I know there's another... Eugenics plot? Eugenics plot. Oh, in I don't there. know. We'll f- I don't even remember. We'll, f- we'll but, figure it out in time. But I think the trouble was, even by the time we got to TNG, they were like, oh, 1996 is real soon. <laughs> it's around the corner. <laughs> Let's just pretend that never happened. And I think that what some people do in their minds is they just run it forward to 2096.
1: Well, I mean, that works for me, but boy, that's a, that's a fat century off.
2: Yep. Um, that's like Spock was just wrong about the year or whatever.
1: Uh, let's see, uh, all the shit that Chakotay claims he did as a pilot at the Academy. Um, 101's a nightmare this time of day. I know he means the SoCal sections, but still, no shit. (laughs) 101 is a nightmare this time of day. Um, I'm always curious about what TV exists in the universe of a TV show. Mission Impossible exists in this universe. Yes. She has seen all of it.
2: You know what's weird about that is, I think both William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy appeared on that show. No, oh,
1: Just the actors, not the characters Kirk and Spock. That's right. Uh, yeah, again, in the 29th century, they can scan for time anomalies, which is very inconsistent. Uh, temporal Prime Directive and uh, the Doctor's mobile hollow emitter. Part of me thinks that should get as much of a, as a three.
2: Because of the hollow emitter?
1: Because of the hollow emitter and the
2: yeah, two's fine. Alright. I feel please, fine about it. Fucking your score. This episode's not gonna win the week no matter what. No, I can't talk it up that much.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh let's see. Uh did you do your world building yet? You did, yes. I did.
2: Okay. And we're up to characterization for you. Um, unless we want to say that Ben gave this a three. That is Saying Chicote was totally fine murdering that henchman in the big rig. <laughs> yeah, that guy's
1: dead for sure. There's no way he lived through that. Uh, yeah, he also didn't like Paris and Silverman. Uh, uh, he could, I guess, did you, what's her name in the show? It's Rain something. Robinson. I kept saying Rain Wilson, and I knew that wasn't it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that is Dwight from The Office. Uh, yeah, he didn't like them maybe getting together. and um, But you know what? Three is more than I gave it.
2: I, I uh, had it as a two. Yeah, okay. This was not your favorite episode.
1: No, again, I was dreading it for a long time. I mean, you'd give it a six
2: cooked take, so I guess...
1: Oh, I got some points up front just because It's not twisted. Uh, look, uh, Tuvok says that he trusts this girl because she's way into Tom Coulier. <laughs> like, that's the reasoning he gives.
2: Uh, he does sound like he's has no choice but to trust her. I would be like... And he's not 100% into it. I'd be halfway through that
1: sentence and go, actually, you know what? That doesn't make any sense. I'm out. I'm out on her. I <laughs> cannot trust her.
2: Um... They gave up on the good cop, bad cop thing they were doing in part one with this, didn't they? Yeah. Well, again... Tuok's just like, whatever. She's seen the ears.
1: Uh, the doctor uses psychological observations to burn this guy good with his therapy suggestion. Then he co-ops McCoy's line. I'm a doctor, not a whatever. Maybe the doctor's torture will give him better bedside manner moving forward. Oh, I don't expect that at all. Probably not. Um, And the doctor wants his own quarters now, but... I think Janeway still sees him as a machine thing.
2: Yes. So I don't think she's likely to do that. Uh, everyone but Kes does. You remember when Harry Kim came over from the other Voyager that had diverged from the previous Voyager exactly mm-hmm. one day previously? And he's like, you know, I never thought to ask if you had a name over there instead of saying in the one day we were separate. No, you didn't think of a name.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I kind of forgot you existed. Yeah. you're. Oh, hey, good to see you again. I totally forgot about you. Um uh only Balana could start a brawl in uh Astro Theory 101. Oh god, I
2: forgot about that.
1: Uh Chicote thinks he'd be a Nobel winning archaeologist or something if he had to stay in the 20th century. I guess he doesn't think Do they think, even give one? I don't think I've never heard of that one. I don't one. think that's real. But I guess he doesn't think anyone would try to do a background check or anything. Yep. Just be like, yeah, no, I could just like show up and teach at a university. Um Jesus, Chicote, Tuvok is not suggesting that fate is why they can't stop the disaster. He's talking about causality. Please pay attention. Yep. Tuvok's like, it may already be too late. And he's like, fate, Tuvok. And Tuvok doesn't say anything. He should go, no, no.
2: Uh, time, time travel stuff. If you're it's not time been, travel stuff. I don't
1: think you've been paying attention to what's been happening. We we're doing some time travel. Uh, Janeway heroically or just thoughtlessly sacrifices herself to stop the time ship. She gets all burned on her face. Um, she did not. I said this earlier. She doesn't give much of an effort in her negotiation with Braxton in the end.
2: Nope. She's just like, "Well, I'll put the force
1: field back up. I'm done with this dipshit." Shouldn't she? Well, I so it's like I meant *Freakosaurus*. <laughs> well, okay. So in the end, he's like, "All right, I'm returning you back to the Delta Quadrant," and she's like. Couldn't you just leave us here on Earth, but send us back to our time? And he goes, no. And she just goes, okay. But it's like, shouldn't you be kind of desperate to get this guy's agreement? She asks you, like, she asks like you'd ask somebody who knows Derek Jeter for his autograph. And then yeah. the person's <laughs> like, "Uh, I mean, don't make me ask I don't, ask really him. don't like to bother <laughs> Let's not do that. Like, we're friends, you know, it's not cool. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, I know. I know. Yeah, sure. No, no, no. I know. I know. Sorry about that. That's the way she treats this negotiation, and I cannot figure it out, because she is about to go back on a 70-year journey or whatever. Yep. Anyway. Um, to me, it was nothing but bad. Just bad across the board.
2: Well, I only gave it one point better. <laughs> I gave it as many as three. Okay. Um, Janeway gives up on persuading Starling faster than any other captain we've seen. Yeah. Uh, jail is all she loves. Yes. They never even attempt to show Tuvok pretending to fit in. He just covers his ears. That's really more than enough for him. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think they were doing much work character-wise. I don't think they attempted it, because they're just rushing through this dumb caper. Yeah. So, we didn't really learn anything, except we got to see the doctor in some weird situations.
1: Yeah, he got in some dumb fist fights in cars, which I briefly mentioned earlier.
2: Yeah, he can take a punch, because he got-
1: he's... Not real. He got to go into the bunker and save Vellana or whatever. It yeah. wasn't good.
2: <sighs> Quick hitters. Go for it. Uh, Goliath gulps. <laughs> yeah. Clearly Tuvok didn't get this food from 7-Eleven. No. So why do the fake name? Why do a fake big gulp?
1: Yeah. It really seemed like She went to like if you get a
2: large soda from Jack in the Box, no one says, "Oh, you got a big gulp from Jack in the Box." (laughs) And they didn't in 1996.
1: No. Again, this is the part I can never understand. They were already in 96. You can just look around, and then you'll know what to talk about.
2: This dude went to a place where you can get chili dogs and burritos. So I'm guessing A and W. Oh
1: my god, could you get burritos at A and W?
2: You could for sure. When I when I was walking home from middle school. In the early 90s, you could for sure get a chimichanga there. That's horrifying.
1: <laughs> I remember that you could get burgers there, but I did not know that you could get a burrito there.
2: Look, I don't know if you still can, but like, what's the other place you could get both a chili dog and a burrito? Well, that's
1: why I was like, well, where did it go? And then in my head, I went, Wiener Schnitzel? No. Taco no. Bell? No.
2: Listen, Wiener Schnitzel's like, one weird decision away from having a chili cheese burrito and then you're like is that just chili in a tortilla yeah
1: you know what i'm not going to pretend that they haven't done that they may have totally tried that in the past i mean
2: that one on uh Wrap on up some monterey nasty, some nasty had chili cheese tamales so
1: yeah some nasty topping chili in a tortilla and be like it's a burrito now they're just <laughs> always trying to hawk all that chili
2: they bought too much chili. It's not good chili. They went, 20 years ago, they bought a huge amount of chili. <laughs>
1: just and they're like,
2: on it. oh, God.
1: We still got... <sighs> this
2: is sub-wolf level.
1: They always have to go out to the desert to to get their chili stock, and <laughs> that it's, it's in a big quarry or something.
2: But anyway, yeah, I thought Goliath Gloves was poor. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, these guys hacked a Motorola phone into an observatory dish to call a spaceship in like a one hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Beltran does An awful fake laugh In one of his scenes with Balana. Is it and, when
1: they're in the shuttle uh, Chatting about the academy
2: Yeah mm-hmm. there's like a weird two second Pause and then he does a very Bad fake laugh and I was just To me it felt like he was in that Moment giving up on Voyager <laughs> Like he was like I've done enough Of this scene it's like, and they just left it in for some reason. Yeah,
1: it's one of those things where you expect the actor to look up and be like, are we going to do this again?
2: Are we do another take?
1: Because I didn't do that right, but no one Let was paying attention.
2: Yeah. Uh, Janeway says, the worst one-liner I've ever heard here. ChronoWorks stock is about to crash.
1: <laughs> She's got someone writing for her up there on the bridge. A yeoman gets up there every once in a while and gives gives her some one-liners.
2: This dude has weird future tech. He doesn't care about his stock.
1: He's got a holo simulator.
2: Yeah. He's looking at uh, naked ladies, <laughs> but in 3D Yeah, all the time, whenever he wants. That's right. Put the, he doesn't have to wear, wear a weird $800 headset or nothing to do it.
1: Put them in that mobile emitter and
2: get to work. Oh fuck! I forgot about the mobile emitter. <laughs> he's he's touching ladies while they play the harp. That's
1: right. Oh yeah, he doesn't just have to watch like Riker, who had not figured out the holodeck at that at that point, I guess.
2: <laughs> well, he's I mean, like, he oh, just, it's cool.
1: You can like uh, you can make uh, like meadows and streams and stuff. That's sometimes neat.
2: you don't want to make the walk all the way down to deck twelve or whatever, right? So like, <laughs> you know, the harps will do. Um, this old boy, uh, ChronoWorks. What's his name? Starling? Yeah. He's going to space in his cardigan, and he does not care about his ruined building at all.
1: He, no, he really doesn't give a shit. He's... He he gets into that little ship like these are the only things that I need in my life. Is just what is in this ship.
2: Janeway says that she's inviting the crew to have a toast, but it's like, it's just the main crew. <laughs> Then you see them in Neelix's little uh, lounge, and it's like, oh, it's Cass and Neelix and Paris and Kim and Torres and Chicote and Janeway and the Doctor.
1: Yeah, standard crew. No, um... Is Carrie dead?
2: Carrie's dead, but what about Bobo Scott Thompson? Is Bobo Scott Thompson dead? Not invited! <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it's too bad. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, Paris does say, Tuvok, has anyone ever told you you're a real freakosaurus?" Uh. And... If it hadn't cut to credits right at that moment, I probably would have quit the project.
1: <laughs> I think I made many threats about this episode
2: and quitting the project. I gave Best Actor to Janeway, I guess. Hmm. And Worst Actor to Rain Robinson. I, I don't I, I don't know if Sarah Silverman is a bad actress or if she just couldn't do the Voyager. Just like, Voyager's a tough putt.
1: Voyager's hard and, she, and David Warner's performance didn't help her at all. Like she went back and she watched that David Warner film, and it, right. not, it was not helpful. Didn't do
2: anything. She's like, at what point do I give him a raw egg with something <laughs> gross in it?
1: Oh, that's not me. I've really prepared for that. Oh, I had a lot. Shit. I
2: had a lot for that. Um, I got some, uh, I guess. Yeah, let's have. Oh, let's have them.
1: Can you imagine Tuvok ordering chili dogs?
2: <laughs> also, well, we didn't get to see. It. I was going to say. Also, aren't you glad they didn't show us that? <laughs> Because I don't want to see it. Um, I mean, would you say, what is a chili dog? He, would he ask what it is? Which of these foods is the most nutrition? He How would, much does uh, an average human need?
1: He'd pull a data and say that he didn't understand what the dog's temperature had to do with it or something. And then you'd be like, all right. Great. I'm out. Let's move this along. Um, Everybody in Star Trek always has like, such a powerful... Oh, wait, I got
2: one. Okay. He brings him all that food, and then he asks for a burrito. How did he decide which one he wanted? Which of a chili dog or a burrito he wanted to eat? I don't know.
1: Maybe they had burrito night.
2: Oh, maybe. Maybe. Neelix made some fucked up burritos up there. (laughs) They're made with weird alien ingredients. Exactly.
1: I think it's more likely they had burrito night than they had chili dog night.
2: That's true. Um.
1: Everyone in Star Trek always has like really powerful motivations for doing the things that they do for a living. And then people ask me why I do what I do. <laughs> and my answer is always just that I don't have any skills. And every time I watch Star Trek, I'm more depressed about my life.
2: Listen, man, I got debts. I got to get a job.
1: It's like I need money and I don't know how to do anything. So that's why I do what I do. <laughs> but everyone on Star Trek's like, hmm, my brother had a telescope. Yep. <laughs> I like could wasn't that great i could barely see over the fence actually i could see saturn and all its rings and i was just and you just go oh no no i gotta skip this oh, or boy. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be really depressed in a minute i gotta skip the rest of this scene <laughs> um hey this shuttle mission seems kind of important right uh-huh Can kimbalana and Chicote like concentrate a little bit
2: oh boy let me tell you uh Human factors are going to be cited as a cause in that shuttle crash. <laughs> yeah. When the future NTSB gets a hold of it,
1: they're going to review the fucking data recorder. And they're going to be like, "Hey, we recorder. listened to
2: this data recorder. You didn't do checklist one. <laughs> you guys were fucking talking about your the good old times at the academy and your what plans? you'd have to do if you lived here.
1: Yeah, you almost had to live here because you fucked up.
2: Shuttles. You did. A, you did a transport, which you do by just pushing a button, and it made you crash the ship." <laughs> Anyway, human factors, uh, crew resource management, big factor in this crash.:
1: Yeah, I feel like shuttles must be so easy to fly if they can just like bullshit the entire time like that.
2: They really are the self-driving cars of Star Trek.
1: Uh, again, bad luck to crash into a dang cult compound or whatever that was supposed to be, some kind of weird militia. Um, why is Starling letting this same moron use his high-tech?
2: He really why doesn't he this have guy? a good lieutenant? Starling has one phaser, and this guy has it. He's allowed into the timeship. He knows how to use the satellites and shit.
1: Is this the quality of lieutenants that the Bill Gateses and Elon Musks have? Is this what they're walking around with?
2: Legit don't know. That's Do they have a real right-hand man like that? Wild. And you know that guy's got to hold the weed, too. That's right. Exactly correct. <laughs> He's got all the
1: responsibilities. Uh, okay, so in real life, they were thinking about maybe possibly adding this girl to the crew, right? Yep. Was she supposed to exist as a love interest for for TP? Yep. Because yuck. Yeah. I don't want that. That's a terrible idea. I'm glad they did not bring her along.
2: I mean, you know, of course, it's never discussed in in uh, Voyager, but can a woman from 1996 give consent on Voyager? It's <laughs> a good question. I mean, there's a weird power dynamic there.
1: There definitely is. But it's okay, because this chick thinks Tom Paris is both sexy and the smartest person she's ever met.
2: In in a nerdy way, somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this is because she hasn't talked to Tuvok, obviously.
1: The smartest person she's ever met? Then she asks him on a date. Yeah. Does she not remember all the dumb shit they've been up to like, this week? Does she think he's free?
2: I find it really hard to believe that a lady astronomer has trouble, like, Getting a date (laughs) because she's a lady. What about all the men astronomers?
1: It's true. It's true that it probably does not take much around there. A lady walking in the room is probably enough for all those dudes. Yeah, I just can't believe she thinks he's free for some fucking. Like, um, (laughs) he's like really busy trying to save the galaxy or whatever. They've
2: been on a nonstop caper for the last forty-eight hours. But yeah, he's. You're right. He's going to suddenly shake free. Yeah. No, I'm like I'm free tomorrow night. What? No, this is... By the way, she already has the pet theory that he's from space. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I just... I spent a lot of this going, what is is happening? What's happening right now? Hey, uh, it's a black man and some bald guy. (laughs) That's what one of the militia guys says. So I'm glad they made them racist, as they should. Um... Did this lady avoid a laser beam in a VW bus? I kind of, my I wasn't paying much attention and I heard a laser blast and I looked up and she was veered off to the side.
2: I mean, uh, Dunbar or whatever his name was shot at them with his phaser. But he was also, like, in the middle of making a left turn. I think it's safer to say that he just missed, and she fucking veered away like a crazy person because she got shot at.
1: Okay, because this is going to be another one of those things where I go, how fast do
2: phasers go? (laughs) What is a phaser beam? Well, first of all, they go (laughs) at the speed of plot. And that is... That's a guarantee
1: People seem to be able to avoid them all the time Despite the fact that they're made of light And I don't understand how it works
2: well, So it's bad enough when it's fucking phasers And you can just go, well I guess it's not a laser But when Data's in the laser room
1: And he's avoiding the lasers, yeah
2: Avoiding the lasers?
0: Mm.
1: Uh, and then they phasered out its wheel This truck, but like Didn't slow it down?
2: Well, they shot one of its many wheels But then it went over a hill so and then they it just ca- assumed that it was crashed,
1: yeah, and then it came back and tried to run them down. What the fuck is? Ha- and then they yelled at each other. No, look out! And dove out of the fucking. Bu- it was. I'm not. I'm not gonna say that as art. It was. It was worse than twisted because twisted didn't even <laughs> attempt anything. But this made
2: me angrier than twisted. <laughs> this was a really a bad fucking episode. You hate action Star Trek. I do. Um, by the way, you're right too. They're not
1: good at it, for one thing. It's not like it ever turns out cool, like The Rock. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just figured that was 1996. This is 1996.
2: That's <laughs> yeah. a good point. They didn't even invite Tony Todd to be the Rocket Man <laughs> in this one.
1: <laughs> that would have been great. Just off the coast, San Francisco. They could have made it work. Um, that's all I got. Uh, what did Ben have? Any? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, he says Starling is Elon Musk. Ah.
2: Well, so we're ain't wrong.
1: Um, let's do the actor rankings real quick on this one then.
2: Yeah, so uh for Voyager, uh we have almost an identical match. So right up at the top, Neelix number one, Schmollis number two, Janeway, Bolana, Tuvok, Kess. The only difference we have in our lineup is I have Paris ahead of Chicote and you have uh Chicote ahead of Paris at in the number seven and eight position respectively, and only above Harry Kim.
1: They're both terrible, only saved by Garrett Wang being there. Yeah. Um, I, We can talk about this later when we do Enterprise, but I wonder who has the worst actors as a group. Is it this show or is it Enterprise?
2: Uh, I'm inclined to say it's this show. The only people who don't, who really definitely are bad actors. Well, actually, we have some disagreement on Enterprise, so we might okay. as well save this discussion okay, for later. Okay, we'll save it, right? we'll save it.
1: But I just, um, whenever I look at this group, I go, wow, these guys fucking suck.
2: This show is much more committed to being an ensemble, so we've seen a lot more out of the minor characters here That's than true. we have out of a Mayweather or a Hoshi. Yeah. Um. So I think that that may cloud the issue somewhat. Yeah, Enterprise is much more of a TOS three-man show. Yeah, so... All right. With, God. I guess, Reed is the number four, right? Uh, He's you, the Scotty of this dumb show. He seems
1: to be, yeah. Either him or Flocks. I don't know who gets more play. Yeah. Um. Thanks for helping out on the uh, episode description, and thank God that we're done with this one.
2: We are. Um. Third place last week was TOS. Ugh. So the next episode we're discussing is Patterns of Force.
0: Da, da, da,
2: da, da. enterprise is in a two civilization star system and they head past the uh, peaceful high-tech outer world of Xeon uh, to reach the warlike primitive inner world of ecos looking for kirk's former instructor at the academy john gill mm-hmm. when they get there uh a fucking nuclear missile gets fired at them they shouldn't have that technology. Yep. And immediately Kirk suspects that uh, Gil must be up to no good. Because how else would they get
0: it?
1: Yeah. Uh, that's one of those things where I didn't understand the technology. They're like... Um, Spock mentions that one of them has some kind of space travel, but then they're really fucking weirded out by the fact that they have nuclear weapons. So I couldn't figure out why it was yeah. so shocking.
2: They for sure don't assume that they got them from Zeon. Okay. <clears throat> Like that seems impossible for reasons no one knows, right? It's not ex- we don't know anything about Zon even at the end of this. That's true. So, Kirk and Spock dress up real blue collar. Uh, and have uh, subcutaneous transponders inserted in case they can't call home. They give Scotty an order to check on him in three hours, and they beam down.
1: Yeah, they say if we were to go by the
2: book, hours hours would, would seem, would like, seem days. like days. Um. Immediately, they see some jackbooted thugs with swastika armbands haul off a Zeon pig. Mm. And it turns out that unluckily, they have arrived on the day that Ecos begins purging all of the Zeons in the capital.
1: Yeah, not like, um... Well, you can just... yeah You you keep going. <laughs> it's well, to say.
2: they see a broadcast uh, full of Nazi imagery, including Adolf Hitler. He's in there. Yep. I guess you weren't supposed to see that on your TV in 1960-whatever.
1: You can hear Uh, him.
2: Yeah, that's true. You can't hear him because you weren't supposed to hear it. Anyway, it turns out uh, they see uh, at the end it shows John Gill. He's their Führer. These guys are straight up Nazis. Yeah. They knock out a guard. They steal a Nazi uniform for Spock to wear. Spock pretends Kirk is his prisoner Chewbacca style. Uh, They get a Gestapo uniform for Kirk. Uh, Anyway, Spock's not good at this. So they get caught basically right away. Yeah. Uh oh no, when I said he was green, it's not I didn't mean he's a rookie. He's literally he's green. Literally. That's what makes him get caught. Yeah. Um so they take him in, Kirk gets lipstick whipped. Um the party chairman shows up. What's his name? Enig? Enig. Uh-huh. Enig shows up, he wants to know about their fancy weapons that they confiscated. But he also orders the SS major that's holding them not to execute them, despite the fact that that's like standard procedure. So I guess that guy's there's something about that guy. Right. They get put in jail. They talk to that Zeon they saw get rounded up. He tells them the Nazi movement's like a few years old. Hmm. He's worried that eventually the Ecosians will attack Zeon and his people um, because they're people of special conscience won't resist.
1: Oh, is that happening again?
2: I'm just saying. (laughs) Yep. They're super pacifist, so he thinks they're just going to get wiped out. Uh, like in, uh, <laughs> like in the dumb uh, Native American fake Native American episode we just saw. This guy's going to learn to kill in this episode. Ah, oh, great! He'll learn the desire to kill. Uh, Kirk and Spock dig the transponders out of their arms and rig them up to make a laser to open their cell door. Right. Uh, then they knock out a guard. They head out with this Xeon, They're going to the laboratory to get their phasers. Um, when they get there, they find their communicators, but I guess their phasers have been forwarded to Gestapo headquarters, which is called Gestapo headquarters. Yeah. Again, again there we're doing space Nazis. They're
1: not like Nazis. They are the national, national socialist party of Germany. Like they are Nazis.
2: That's correct. They're exactly they are literally that. Nazis. Yeah. Um, the Zeon's name is Isaac and he, he takes them to a resistance cell that's run by his brother, Abram. Do you get it yet?
1: Yeah, I get it. And I don't understand what the Zeons are.
2: Well, Zeons are Zion. I get it. So I'm just saying, like,
1: how did this happen? They're
2: Jews, but they're also pacifists from another planet.
1: They're pacifist alien Jews
2: who are there for some reason. I don't. um, Anyway, they're the good guys. Yeah. Uh, they do like a weird sham thing where uh Spock is trying to fix one of the communicators by the way, because they've been disassembled. They bring in a woman that they saw on a broadcast named Doris who is like big big in the Nazi party right now. she's pretty popular in there,
1: yeah, yeah she was on the t v
2: got a medal and everything on the t v
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh like she comes in with some guards and they round up their resistance and they shoot Abram. And I guess it's just a test to see whether Kirk and Spock are trustworthy because it turns out Abram's not dead or anything. And, oh, uh, Doris is part of the resistance, etc., etc. et, mm-hmm. cetera, et cetera. And then Kirk tells him, oh, yeah, uh, John Gill, he's one of ours. He wasn't supposed to do any. This was not his brief. We certainly we did didn't... not send him here to make Nazis. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's what he did. Yep. So uh, Gill is going to give a speech that night, which they think is going to be he's going to outline the final solution Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and also, but he's also going to indicate that he's launching a space fleet to attack Zion. So that didn't happen in actual Nazi Germany.
1: I don't remember the space fleet for sure. That is new. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Kirk wants uh, Doris to sneak them in to the speech so he can figure out what the hell's going on. He wants to see uh, Gil. So Kirk, Kirk is a propaganda director. He's going to play propaganda director. And Isaac and Spock are cameramen. Yeah. And they're they're following Doris around to get into this. So it's like they're shooting a documentary about the hero of the fatherland. Right. Uh, and once they're inside, even Enig, the party chairman who we saw before, passes them by seemingly without recognizing them.
1: That's weird to me, but yep. He gets
2: a good look at him. Yep. <laughs> so they find the speech uh, where the booth is going to be given, and they peek in there, and uh, Spock thinks that Gil is probably drugged just based on his weird behavior.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He sort of has a flat affect and he's just sitting in a chair. So they need to know that, whether that's true or not. So they sneak into a cloakroom and call the Enterprise and they have McCoy beamed down. He doesn't have his boots on. It's a little funny joke. Yeah, They find the signal. Security men search the building. Enig finds them and Kirk says, hey, McCoy's drunk and Enig buys it. And he's like, This is about the third time that Enoch's suspicious. Yeah. Uh, And this time when they leave, everyone's like, I I didn't recognize us. That's that's weird. Yeah. Anyway, the speech is on. It doesn't seem fully coherent. The parts we hear make sense, but apparently if you listen to the whole thing, it's like, he's just stringing words together. This doesn't mean anything. Yeah. McCoy thinks he looks drugged. So they break into the room to try and get a, a closer look. Um, turns out he is drug McCoy doesn't know what with he's gonna give him a stimulant it makes Gil like basically in a hypnotic trance so he can answer questions (laughs) after Spock mind mind melds him
1: yeah they do a combo treatment on him
2: yeah they give him a uh, shoot him up with something and then Spock does a mind meld and then he can answer questions but he can't volunteer information he
1: can't talk so very good
2: Uh, in response to questions, Gil reveals that he chose the Nazis as an example because they're the most efficient government that ever was on Earth. Mm,
1: Seems like a really weird, um, fucking award to give to them. Yeah. uh,
2: anyway, he believed that, uh, his benign leadership could, you know, he could make some good Nazis. Yeah, he's gonna make the good, the good type Nazis. The good Nazis. Um, but... His uh, second-in-command, Melacon, uh basically just took took over for him. Started poisoning him and took over. Right. Enig breaks in. They pretend that Darris captured Spock. Uh, Kirk and Isaac want him to be taken to Melikon, And Enig agrees. And that's when they figure out he's one of the Resistance leaders. They dropped a line earlier about not knowing. They're organized in cells and they don't know who else is in the Resistance. Right. At this point, they figured out his suspicious behavior. So Malakon looks over Spock and starts talking about racial purity, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Kirk brings Gil around with another big stimulant enough to, um, enough for him to start speaking to the people truthfully and reversing the orders and revealing that Malakon's a traitor melacon murders him with a machine gun mm. and then isaac shoots Melikon, etc and then enig steps in and gives a speech about how there's been enough killing and they're going to find a new way forward and all these nazis are like oh yeah that makes sense
1: sure yeah i wasn't really invested yeah <laughs> that's the one thing about uh, joining a party like this is that you're not really that invested at any point
2: kirk, kirk and his crew of course uh, decide yeah 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 enig and and uh, Dar- and, uh Daris have got this they've got it yep it's all good let's leave yeah. And Kirk explains that if you give anyone absolute power, they begin to act like a god. And then McCoy says, what I have is the premise of the episode, and then they leave.
1: Yeah. Um, wow. You know, if...
2: They did space Nazis. We did Chicago Gangsters. I know. We've done Indians. Yeah. And now we're doing space Nazis. It's
1: not good. It's not the good... It's not the good stuff. I. If this were a TNG episode, I would have to ask again what the Federation is, but... Yeah. It's fine. It's TOS. Matt, what? Uh, here's what I had. Just what? Hate is often a political tool meant to keep a people or state focused on a common enemy. Uh, it's like hate as an organizational tool. That's what uh that's what happened to these old people. Um, nothing new here, but maybe people weren't often told this in the 60s. I really wish it hadn't been real Nazis, but that's execution. Um, for me, this was uh, this was a six.
2: It's fucking wild, right, that they didn't do a Nazi-like organization. They couldn't even change that swastika to like... Some some other symbol that had rotational <laughs> symmetry. Basically, they don't even do what the actual white supremacists in America do. Yeah, right. Where they're just like, you know what, we're just going to do like some Norse runes or something yeah. and hope that you guys don't get it.
1: No, it was was just, I I was struck every time something was just straight from the 1940s. They've got a
2: Gestapo, they've got an SS. It's never explained if these people have German. Like, if they they understand that these things mean something in another language.
1: Yeah, they even, again, they've even got Hitler on TV. Like, they got it all. Yeah. They got all of it.
2: Uh, But again, that's
1: an execution problem. I thought the take was uh, useful for people. It was a six for me.
2: Uh, I went ahead and gave him credit for the take that McCoy says, which is absolute power corrupts absolutely. Sure. With the idea being that uh, Gill supposedly had benign intentions, but as soon as someone got a taste of power, yeah. he essentially poisoned him to take over. I don't hate this take. Like, I, I don't hate... That you that it's not possible to have good Nazis, that's essentially what Kirk and McCoy are agreeing at the end that there's yes. no way this could have gone well. You just can't have good Nazis um The thing that weakens this take for me is aside from our grandfather, who's arguing this
0: <laughs> that's right exactly
1: if if anything, this episode was much more complimentary of the Nazi Party than anything that else that I've ever seen, really. I mean, it was weird,
2: yeah, uh yeah. Yeah, it was. I gave it a five. Okay. You know, it's fine. I hate that they did it, but it's not the fault. Like, the take is not the problem. Yep.
1: Yeah, to me, it's like that uh, I, was, I managed to find a six on that Voyager in the take, but it was not a good episode.
2: Ben thinks this is a Prime Directive episode, and he says that this marks the point in Star Trek where... It changes from being a non-interference directive to a capital P prime directive. Because at this point, this dude made Nazis, so they got to get serious <laughs> yeah, about that's it.
1: That's right. And like you said, they had Gangster World not that long ago. so it's Yeah, like... Gangster
2: World was a straight accident. They left a book behind and these idiots made it their Bible.
1: If anyone is reading these reports, they are probably trying to determine if they should make this of uh, an important rule.
2: Hey, have we not been serious enough about this? I feel like we were, we've been talking about
1: this for a while.
2: Should but... we not call it the non-interference directive? <laughs> that's right. It's like the main directive that we have, right? we got to take this one more seriously. Yeah, He's a three on execution. It's another alt-earth. It's unsettling to see Kirk and Spock as Nazis. It's all shock value. Nazis are still basically the best villains of all time. I mean, what about South Africans? Those are good individual villains, because all you have to do is hear the accent, and you know they're evil.
1: That's right. Exactly correct.
2: Uh, He thinks that he's defending the concept in that if someone had a unique position of influence and a deep but narrow toolbox, he might try to emulate a society with a benign dictatorship to, to stop a warring society, right? Yeah. But all the details are crazy, and uh, apparently these aliens are terrible because they just immediately made a holocaust out of it. That's
1: right. <laughs> just in- almost instantaneously. So,
2: he's a three on execution.
1: Uh, what were you?
2: I'm a two. Okay. I'm a straight two. Uh... This episode spends so much time on the heist and double triple cross aspects that it makes no attempt to explain how this could have happened. It doesn't explain why a historian thought this would be a good idea. Yeah. How he gained control, how he became the most influential person in the society, how he lost control, what Melikon's politics are. Yes. There's not like nothing is explained in this episode. It's just Kirk and Spock in SS uniforms, karate chopping people.
1: Yes, all the things that you might be interested in finding out to make the plot make sense. Yeah, they they ignore.
2: Yeah, it's just like, oh, you know how it is. He decided that they should be Nazis, so obviously they made him their Führer.
1: And it was another one of the fifty TOS episodes where they are just captured, escape, recaptured, escape, captured again, and escape. These guys break out of jail like three times an episode.
2: I mean, really, all the time. It's the only thing they do. Yeah. So that's a two for me.
1: I was in agreement. It's a two for me. Uh, This seemed like an excuse to dress the crew up like Nazis.
2: The whole thing (laughs) was definitely an excuse to use stuff they made for old movies. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
1: the whole thing was so cheesy and made so little sense that it failed to be useful as a lesson in any way. So it's uh, just a two for me.
2: Ben's a two on world building. Okay, Ecos and Zeon, cultural intolerance, and mob think are universal. He, it would be common for a historian or whatever to have detailed schematics of an MP forty so they can reproduce <laughs> it. Yeah, it's a good point. It's dumb. He gave it a two.
1: Yeah, uh, I only had it as a one though uh echos or Ecos and xeon xeon has crude interplanetary travel abilities as well as space missiles i guess or Ecos does i don't know which one had them
2: xeon um well Ecos had the missiles now
1: and again how was a the thermonuclear warhead generations ahead of where they should be if there's already space stuff um subcutaneous transponders real actual nazis i mean really though uh is this i for a second i thought maybe this was an anti-academia episode or something because (laughs) they, you know how star trek
2: feels
1: (laughs) because john gill decided he should bring them national socialism um again why not come up with your own logo salute etc it's just lazy vulcans apparently got all that lush chest hair Spock is without his shirt in this episode, and he is hairy. At least half Vulcanians have the chest hair. Um, Yeah, for me, there wasn't anything that I feel like I'm going to be able to use in other episodes.
2: I give it a two for world building. Okay. We have subcutaneous transponders. Mm -hmm. This is also the first time we've ever seen anyone think about, hey, we might... (laughs) <laughs> what if we lose our communicators? This is literally the only time anyone's ever thought about it. Yeah. Uh rubidium crystal lasers. Uh Lee Kuan apparently is a dictator. <laughs> That's right. Uh cultural observers exist in the Federation. There's some stuff here, but it's there's not much. Uh let's see. Characterization.
1: TOS uh, for sorry for Ben uh, one part he did love is Spock saying that Kirk would make a very convincing Nazi which is spot on Um, and not really much more because of course Kirk and Spock hate Nazis on site and try to foil them so it was a three for him
2: and for me yes um, we get the standard Kirk bluffing his way through a primitive culture. Typical Spock. There's not much Scottier or McCoy in this one. No, McCoy we gets don't his learn Goofy bit. Yeah, we don't learn much of anything except that I guess uh Kirk and Spock have not are not from a time where we've reevaluated Nazis and decided that we're not so bad, or you know, that's just how it was in the middle of the nineteen hundreds or whatever. Yeah. So I guess there's that the, that, they at least are pretty anti-nazi but it's i mean it's they didn't do anything bad they didn't do much at all i gave it a four for characterization
1: we were pretty close on this episode because i <clears throat> i also gave it a four um for one thing spock's knit cap is back yep why is he always trying to dress like the edge
2: did you like his sweater with all the holes in it
1: it was great fantastic <laughs> Uh, Spock just won't hurry when he's on Kirk's back in jail. Ah, that's good banter. Um, some kind of gambling addiction was just awakened inside of Spock,
2: it seemed. Yes, (laughs) he does get real excited about taking risks.
1: Uh, judo chop from Kirk, he had that one all lined up. Uh, weird that I didn't actually have a lot of character notes for Kirk after that judo chop. I think he was mainly himself in this one. Uh, McCoy can't get his boots on. Oh, again, what wonderful banter. Yeah, it was just on the on the below average side for me as a four.
2: Uh, I hadn't noticed this until you mentioned Spock's watch cap, hmm. but it seems like their plan going down was to play the same characters they were playing in City on the Edge of Forever. They
1: are dressed the they same. Were
2: like, two best friend down and outs? Yep.
1: That's their their scheme. That's what they do on every planet.
2: Where people would be like, those guys are always together and they don't have anyone else in their lives.
1: We need a job.
2: (laughs) Do you have a job?
1: (laughs) Just me and my friend here. Is there a soup
2: kitchen around here?
1: Me and my friend here are down on our luck we need a job.
2: Maybe a lady gives speeches about what she thinks the future will be like (laughs) and for some reason I fall in love with her?
1: Yep. Uh,
2: yeah. Uh,
1: Should I do a quick hitter?
2: Yeah, give me them fucking quick hitters.
1: The way they left John Gill's picture up on the bridge for a hell of a long time, it made me start to think maybe he was
2: their fearless leader or something.
1: His picture was just (laughs) up on the bridge for many scenes before they went down to that planet.
2: Yeah, they didn't (laughs) change what they were projecting, did they?
1: No. Uh, No, Kirk, not like Nazi Germany. They straight up are Nazis. Please get it right. They were yeah. like Zeke Heiling and all that shit. Um, At first, I thought this lady was going to be a sexy Nazi for Kirk to seduce. Doris, or whatever her name is.
2: Yeah, that would have been one way they could have taken it. I thought for sure out, that's where it was going. It turned out that uh, Kirk didn't need to be there at all, that <laughs> the resistance had infiltrated the highest levels of the Nazi party, and that they were basically about to fix this anyway.
1: Yeah, why were they? Yeah. It's uh, weird writing. Um, Typically moronic cell guards. Kirk gives just some real unconvincing yells about how he's ready to talk. Yep. Help! I'm ready to talk now! Help me so I can talk! I need to talk! And they come and get knocked out. Um, And again, as Ben pointed out, Spock is right. Kirk is a very convincing Nazi. He put on that outfit and I was like, yeah, no,
2: I can see it. Oh, yeah, I get it. I see it. (laughs) Uh, that's all I had. Hey, uh at the very beginning, when they're all talking about how great John Gill is before they know he's Hitler, mm. uh Spock is like, I took his class at the academy and I, I was I thought was refreshed that it was a study of causes and motivations instead of uh
1: dates and events. Dates and times. Yeah.
2: Did history suck in the nineteen sixties? Was so. history class really terrible? Because that's that shouldn't have been a fresh take. It
1: sucked in the fucking 30s or 40s or whenever whenever some of these when writers, writers were taking were in it. school yeah because <laughs> that was a criticism came straight out of some fucking writer's mouth
2: um when they dress up to go down there they uh just wore their normal boots and it looked real weird <laughs> their weird Cuban heel pointy boots
1: that must be part of their down
2: and out outfit I guess so I liked the little business of Kirk not being able to find Spock's transponder for a second in his arm yeah he's cutting him, yeah, like ah, it's and ah, it's here, and and oh, there it is, you know what I mean? It's well, just like a little tiny thing if he ain't got a scanner, he's just doing his best, yeah, um, this week, Kirk is a pickpocket, he has all of the skills of a pickpocket, and he gets the keys right off that guard. no problem, <laughs> yep uh, then I said, man, this Nazi party has been infiltrated, and then I said it was double infiltrated, there you go. We don't really talk about the efficiency of the Nazi state
1: This is what I'm talking about. It was very complimentary in a lot of ways. And it was almost like they said, if it wasn't for the thing about hating the Jews, they would have been all right.
2: Apparently, this was an actual uh, idea that people had that later got refuted. Good. That the Nazis were very efficient. And then I think the current current thinking on it is, uh, they were actually pretty pretty inefficient because they had a lot of depart different departments doing the same job and competing with each other yeah and which is the take that i've always got like when you read anything about the nazis you're like wait the sa and the ss did what and then <laughs> oh they hated each other and and then there were these other so it's, it doesn't yeah. seem efficient to me but i guess there was actually a prejudice about the nazis that that existed maybe even in the 60s
1: not to mention the fact that paranoia drove i mean at the highest levels people were constantly being replaced just sacked and yes. replaced all the time so there was no continuity of leadership in it like anywhere along the line
2: yeah it seems like it was real inefficient yeah. but i guess it was actually a thing that historians believed or well, at least the pop the popular culture believed about that because the
1: back the then history was just a series of dates
2: and events dates and uh, dates and times yeah exactly I give best actor to Drunk McCoy because he goes; he's pretty small with it. Yep. And I gave worst actor to Isaac pretending to be a Nazi. Uh, it didn't work for me at all. Well, good thing we won't have to see him anymore. Yeah, he's done. Oh, he's there. He's going to be one of the leaders of the. No, he's a Zeon. Who knows? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> Who cares? He's going to do a Romeo and Juliet thing with Doris, I think. Oh, great! Because his uh, his fiance gets killed.
1: Uh, I I guess we should do actor rankings.
2: We should do actor rankings. Um, looking at the TOS actor rankings, we are different in a couple of places. You have Kirk number two, and I have McCoy number two. Okay. But, but the other one's just three. So those guys end up tied below Spock. Spock's the number one on this list.
1: Yeah, and we also have Scotty and Uhura flipped.
2: Yeah, similarly, we have Scotty and Uhura flipped. Um, I've seen more out of Scotty, who mostly exists to get yelled at by Kirk at this point. Yeah. So
1: I think it's a recency thing. The last few times I've seen Scotty, I've wondered what the fuck he was doing.
2: Yeah. He he has. We've seen a lot of competent Scotty, but the last few times he's just saying that something is impossible. That's sort of his role on the show now. Yeah. Um, but in general, we have uh Spock followed by a Kirk McCoy tie followed by a Scotty Uhura tie. Then Sulu Chekov and, uh, Christine Chapel's bringing up the is <laughs> The first time she's qualified. We felt the need to add her, but we both slotted her in right at the bottom. Yeah. It's kind of like we added Vedic Barile, and then I put him 10th and you put him 11th <laughs> in deep space nine <laughs> yeah. or maybe the other way around. So the, uh, no, no big changes. Um, the only uh, Sulu dropped one. No, Sulu rose one, one place in the cast ranking from the last time we did this, which was, jeez, eight months ago. Yeah. Uh, in second place last week was uh, TNG. So next we're going to discuss The Survivors.
1: The Enterprise, responding to a distress call from a Federation colony on Delta Rana 4, uh, discovers the planet to be totally destroyed and devoid of life, except for one tiny little cute patch of grass in a house. Uh, they detect uh, two occupants. Uh, Troy says that she, um, she can't really tell anything about what's going on with them. But they're going to beam down an away team and check them out. she says
2: there's something off about them but she can't do any better than that
1: yeah Um, Riker goes down there with uh, with the whole with the usual team Uh, Riker gets snared in a weird booby trap and is hanging upside down when two old people come out of the house uh, asking what the hell they're doing on his lawn on their lawn and uh, they say hey uh, everyone on the planet is dead except for you so like we're gonna go in your house and take a look around and talk to you you know
2: try, also why. try to
1: why try to fig- we're gonna mull on this one a little bit we're gonna try to figure this one out if you don't mind because literally just like from orbit we can see your tiny little patch of grass it's making us yeah curious. not only
2: is everyone dead the whole planet is a fucking charred <laughs> wreck except for your one you acre some, of green lawn
1: some nice hedges and shit up so we're just we're kind we're a little curious no not, not a also big your deal.
2: property was a perfect square apparently <laughs> yeah exactly
1: So uh, they're trying to chat with them, and they say, hey, um, look, we don't know. Some aliens came. They blew up the whole planet. We didn't even know we were the only ones who survived. Um, But we ain't got anything for you. We're just here minding our own business and uh, dancing and having tea and stuff. So maybe just leave us to that. Uh, Data finds a music box, and because he is a fucking weirdo, he has to play with it. Yeah, I don't know what his deal is. Stop picking up people's shit unless you think it matters to the mission, Data.
2: That's like, at any point, like, I know I know he had a Chinese finger trap. Can you imagine if at some point someone had given him a clicky pen? <laughs> Just the whole episode. Click, 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 click. Uh,
1: you know, I don't know what the link is between this music box and what happens to Troy, but I wish Data hadn't opened that, hadn't turned on that music box. Because Troy starts to hear the music in her head up on the ship. Yep. And uh that will keep going throughout the episode and it will gradually get louder and louder until she can't stand it anymore and she's starting to go crazy and she has to be put into a coma by um
2: Yeah, she really Kira's around for a minute.
1: Yeah, she yes, she does. There's some uh she gets pretty big.
2: She does go big with it. For some reason um I don't know. Maybe it's because every time she does it she's also crying that it it's not, it seems more in character for her somehow. I don't know. To me, it's... A, it, I feel like Troy is big. It's not Marina Sirtis is big.
1: Yes. Um. And especially before it goes so bad that she's just screaming. Yes. Um, when she's just looking in the mirror and asking for it to please stop. I. Uh, that's the part that makes this episode uncomfortable for me because, <laughs> because I... Because of your migraines. I have been that way with migraines. I'm pretty sure Marjan has seen me just writhing in pain. So, yeah. uh, that, again, this is a hard watch for me. Um... Anyway, so while that's going on up there, she's having her Uh, freakouts. They—they're not really—they don't have anything on these old people except that the old people really want them to go away. The old guy's like, "Just leave us alone. We don't know. We'll just
2: live here somehow.
1: Yeah, we're gonna live here on our little patch of grass. Don't you worry about it." So Riker's like, "Yeah, all right." And they go back up to the ship and they're having their little staff briefing, and that's when Troy's um, starting to have it get pretty bad. By the way, did you notice Riker is just turned around entirely? Yep. Facing away from Picard, staring directly at Troy the entire time.
2: He for sure knows that something is wrong with her. <laughs> but not And in... then he does not follow up on it. It's the <laughs> weirdest thing where he's staring her, so she's not really concentrating in the briefing. Picard has to ask her a question twice, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. He is staring her down the whole fucking time. She goes off to her quarters. Guess who shows up to check on her? Picard. Not it writer, doesn't yeah. make any sense.
1: <laughs> and also, like, okay, so he's clear, he knows something's up with her. He doesn't say anything even in the briefing. He's just looking at her.
2: No, and I swear to God, if she said, I'm hearing a weird music box, record would have gone, well, hang on. <laughs> I know. she But because here. he's not the one who checks on her. Yeah. Ah.
1: Well, also, if she'd said, I'm hearing a weird music box, he would have gone, whose music box?
2: Well, that's true, too. He would have been very unhappy. Can you imagine if at any point someone had said, I don't know, Hum a bar? And then Data would have gone, oh, it's the fucking, it's from Kevin Uxbridge. It's Kevin, he's doing it. (laughs) That's right. But no, they're just like, oh, she's like, I'm hearing music. And Picard's like, yeah, I know. We all, we all have YMCA go through our head from time (laughs) to time. We all have Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen stuck in our head sometimes.
1: Yeah, Picard does come to visit her in recorders later, and his great advice is... um...
2: Get some sleep. Get some sleep. Take a drug if you need to. Yep, he says. Eat, eat a drug if you gotta. Take an Ambien.
1: Use the sleeping meds if you need to, but, uh, you know, sleep it off. You'll be okay.
2: I mean, I think he says use the necessary sleep inducements, which is a crazy thing to say to someone who's in pain. It's so
1: wild. He doesn't say, like, I don't know, get a doctor or whatever. Ta-
2: Let's I talk mean, to take Dr. Crusher. What are you doing? Ugh.
1: Anyway. Um, look, a uh, spacecraft shows up. A big one uh yeah and it starts to attack it's big
2: and it is gray starts to
1: attack the enterprise but kind of in a one of the weak ways the ways that convinces picard that it's a cool thing to do to let people shoot at him
2: yep like he thinks this is a thing that's going to happen a lot it's shooting them with 40 megawatt lasers yeah uh
1: then it flies away and they chase it but they chase it for like a hot minute Before Picard goes "Hmm, I think it's toying with us We can't catch up to it It keeps matching our speed exactly Let's turn back around And go talk to those old people Picard is kind of On this one early
2: Uh, Picard Picard does a full Groppler Zorn In this (laughs) episode
1: On these old people
2: If he had been down On the planet He would have been Even more on it But like he had to wait Till shit started happening In space But as soon as he does He's like I uh There weren't any Apples before What's (laughs) um What's the deal With this Zorn Yeah
1: if you have an apple Ah, don't worry about it. That's not big
2: deal. What the fuck would he, why would he say that? I know we've done this a bunch. (laughs) He looks at a bowl of fruit. He's got a banana and a fucking orange. I don't know what else was in there. Well, if you got an apple, oh. But there for sure wasn't an apple. When he says, would you like, here, I got you some earth fruit. He's like, well, if there's an apple. Like, just staring him down (laughs) like, you ain't got a fucking, you think you impressed me by making some earth fruit? You think you're going to get this fucking Starbase contract because you put fruit out? If
1: there ever been an apple there, he would have nah, been I'm been big like,
2: dogging you. Then the fucking apples appear and it's a whole thing. He would
1: have been like, I don't know if you got
2: pineapple. It's like, what a shitty thing to do. Yep,
1: he's an asshole. Um, anyway, Picard's like, let's go talk to these old people. Something ain't right. I don't like this. Uh, this time I'm going down. He takes the away team of Wharf. And
2: well he needed Worf to carry the replicator. <laughs> I swear to god I don't think there's another reason.
1: It's like I mean they're just going to beam it down anyway, can't they just like beam it closer to the house? Anyway, they beam down there uh and he's like, "Hey, let's chat a little bit more." Cuz I got now I got the questions and I'm before that bearded guy showed up, he didn't know what he was talking about, but now I'm here. Um Kevin, this is where Kevin Uxbridge suggests to them that uh, because uh, they were pacifists, um, they were spared by the aliens, maybe, though there's no way the aliens could have known that. Yep.
2: Um, uh, On the down low, I'm, Kevin Uxbridge wants to get caught here, right?
1: Yeah, it's either because of his guilty conscience or just because he wants everyone to know how cool he is with his
2: powers. Something like that, right?
1: Um, but he's like, hey, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how they would have known that, but we refused to fight. Or I did. You know, I'm like, fuck this. I'm not doing that. I won't kill even to save me or my lady. Um, But he doesn't have anything else for Picard and he just really wants him to go away.
2: Yeah, just please leave.
1: So mm, this time when Picard gets back up to the ship, that dang
2: spaceship comes back. Uh, this time it's ten thousand times as powerful.
1: Yeah, it shoots the shit out of Enterprise a little bit. Some panels explode. This time it explode. shoots with
2: four hundred gigajoules or whatever.
1: Some panels explode. A dude, a dude goes flying. Um, and so Picard's like, "All right, well, I guess we gotta leave." Um, for for an hour. For an hour, because <laughs> he's again, he's all over this one, Groffler's horn style. He tells, uh... He tells the record "I gotta leave, but we should, we should probably come back in an hour."
2: Um. When they return to the planet... Troy's in real batch. Troy's in a coma at this point. Yes, this is
1: where the Crusher has put her in a coma.
2: When they return to And Picard tells no one except he tells Crusher that he thinks Kevin and Rashawn are responsible for what's happening to her.
1: Picard keeps this shit close to his vest in this episode, and I wonder if it's because this is a test and he's waiting to see if anyone on his crew is smart enough to understand what's happening. <laughs> is he, like... Is he going, if I just play real cool, maybe Riker will figure this out. Uh, anyway... <clears throat> Uh, They go back. That that ship is uh, nowhere in sight. He goes right back down to the planet to talk with the Uxbridges again. And uh, he wants to talk about Troy's issues. After being refused again, he tells them uh, Enterprise will remain to protect them as long as they live. Yep. He says that very carefully. (laughs) And then he returns to the ship. He says, as long as you guys are alive, we're going to be here hanging out in orbit as much as you want us to leave. Uh, the alien spaceship appears again, and Picard goes, no, don't shoot at it. And then it um, he watches as the alien ship destroys that one little square of grass. And then Picard orders a single photon torpedo, because again, he obviously knows what is up now. And unlike in the previous encounter, this time the ship is easily destroyed. Yep. So Picard says, all right, let's go to a higher orbit, continue scans of the planet.
2: And, uh, don't worry. He pointedly asks Picard if there's any reason for them to stay here now. That's right. Um, and he goes to wait in his ready room,
1: because he knows what's up. Uh, anyway, after a short time, the home reappears. Uh, Picard orders the Uh Uxbridge's beamed up to the Enterprise this time and confronts them on the bridge.
2: Um. Oh, by the way, at this point, Picard tells Riker the thing that he couldn't have figured out. Which is that he thinks there was only one survivor.
1: Oh, that's a hunch. Attack. That's pure. Uh, that's a
2: he's playing a pure fucking hunch here.
1: I mean, he tells Riker he's playing on a hunch. Um, he means all of it, but I think specifically he could only have figured that that out by having a feeling. Yeah. Uh. So anyway, he he then does his Poirot bit, where he will explain
2: what is happening. <laughs> He beams Kevin and Rashawn up to the bridge to use as a makeshift accusing parlor. That's
1: right. And at points, uh, Kevin Uxbridge even goes, No, let him finish when, the, when his wife protests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is wild. Uh, anyway, so turns out uh, Kevin and Rashawn's house was destroyed in the attack and Rashawn was killed. But Kevin uh, has uh, just recreated the house and the lady again. Uh, The alien warship is a device of Kevin's to make the Enterprise go away. In the last attack, it seemed to destroy the Uxbridges because the Enterprise had, or because Picard had directly told him the conditions that would get him to leave. Uh, Kevin admits the truth uh, that he invented Rashawn after she died, and he makes her do a disappearing act, which seems rough because it seems like she's pretty sentient.
2: Yeah, she's still coming to terms with this.
1: She seems like she might be sentient and he makes her disappear again. Um He goes uh he goes weird invisible and goes to Troy's quarters to go remove her um her music that he had placed in her mind to prevent her from telepathically identifying him. He's a real fucker. Yeah. He's a man who claims many times to be of special conscience, and who Picard absolutely buys into one hundred percent and many times calls him a man of special conscience. That's right. Um Kevin reveals that he is a Dowd, an immortal uh, energy being with vast powers of some kind. While traveling in human form, he had met Rishan, Uh He fell in love. He settled with her on that planet. And then when it was attacked by an aggressive, destructive species called the Husnok, who I don't know. It's not clear if Picard had ever heard of them.
2: It's not clear. It's also, by the way, never explicitly stated that the ship that he's creating is the same ship. Yeah. It could just be another cool ship he thought of. What if it was, like, a big wedge and it had a triangle thing that shot lasers? Yeah,
1: like, maybe the Hoostock were really powerful, but their ship looked kind of wimpy. Yeah. And he's like, nah, I gotta make it look tougher. Uh, he refused to join the fight in accordance with his species' pacifist beliefs or whatever. Uh, but his wife did take up arms to defend the colony. And again, I thought they were getting bombarded from orbit, so I don't really know. I mean, that definitely eventually happened. I don't know what she was doing fighting, but, um... Anyway, the wife was killed, uh, along with everyone else on the dang planet, so he kept bringing her uh, back to life. Anyway, uh, they ask him if uh, if that's why he was so guilty, and he's like, nah, that ain't it, though. Yeah, um, no, it's worse than that. I did another thing. I wasn't going to bring it up, but since you asked, um, I was really mad at the Husnock when they killed my wife, and so I killed him. And they're like, "Oh, that's rough." And he's like, "No, no, no. Let me just finish. I killed. Okay, yeah, hear me out. Uh, I killed all the hussnock everywhere. Just all, just all the hussnock that that existed. I killed all of them. Over fifty billion of them, or whatever." Uh. So then he, um, that's what has uh, driven his crazy guilt, and maybe what makes him so eager to get caught in this episode. Um. Yeah. He he chose to exile himself to that planet, where he would dance weird waltzes for the rest of eternity or whatever. But now he's ready to go with Picard. You know, whatever you want to put me in prison. He basically
2: says, what are you going to do with me?
1: Put me in prison or whatever. Uh, but this is the part that we've been talking about for ages where Picard says that they're not qualified to be his judge and they have no laws to fit the magnitude of his crime. So also he's a man of special uh, conscience. So they're just going to (laughs) leave him there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe put a beacon in orbit. Who knows?
2: He tells him, "You feel free to go back to the planet and make Rashan live again," and it seems like that's his plan. It seems like Kevin's like, "Yeah, okay, I'll do that." Okay. Instead of being like, "No, I was living a lie. <laughs> None of this is. She's not really a alive." I'll go I back to, to living this lie. I need to. I need to. Uh, I need to come to terms with her loss and move, eventually move beyond this. And I am immortal. Nah.
1: Nope, yeah, you're right. He just goes right back into the fantasy as Picard. He suggests. will be
2: drinking tea down there in a minute.
1: Uh, And again, Picard says some shit on the bridge about how they should leave his, his awesome conscience alone. Because he's such a good guy.
2: Do you remember in Deep Space Nine when Odo and Dax convinced that hologram town that they were holograms in like one minute? Yes. And they were like, ah, fuck, we are holograms. <laughs> yeah. Rochelle Uxbridge was having a harder time with it than that, I think.
1: You all you know, old people don't really understand technology. Oh, yeah, so she, you know, she she didn't really know what was happening. Uh all right, dude. What's this one?
2: Uh it's tough. It's kind of a no-take. I, I cooked something, but it's a little cooked. Okay. Um It's one thing to make a tough decision. It's another thing to live with it afterwards. Mm. So You know, he says to Picard that even if Rashawn went to fight, he he wouldn't take up arms to protect her. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that that is what happened. Yep. But he didn't do so good with it after the fact. (laughs) No. Especially right after the fact. When he saw her broken body, he says, although again, where? The planet has nothing left on it. Makes me wonder if he cleaned up the planet. He might have cleaned up the place.
1: (laughs) That's why that perfect square was left there. I think he cleaned the whole place up.
2: It might have been very different. It might have had a lot of bodies. When he saw her broken body, in a in a moment's thought, he wiped out the whole fucking race, right? He's so. so
1: powerful that he can bring Rashawn back, but I guess he can't bring the Hoosnock back.
2: He thought he could handle it, but he could not. Yeah. D- Dog, he, he's powerful, but he's not smart. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's not. Also, he's an immortal being of illusion and disguise or something. Hmm. He might only be able to make like... Fake ships in space and stuff maybe he can't make anything alive
1: but but he but he can make people dead that's for sure he
2: can he can definitely make them dead yeah uh
1: what was your take uh, i
2: I said it was hard to find a takeaway here that applies to us because it's a story about an immortal being who can shape the cosmos <laughs> right It's real sci-fi like it's a sci-fi thing, but a better sci-fi thing would have been to make the show about pacifism in some way. Yeah. Instead of just a mystery show Who's hurting Counselor Troy? Why are these people the only people left on the planet? I only gave it three points.
1: Yeah, I um I also cooked the shit out of this. Um and it kinda had a hard time encapsulating it in one statement. I guess what I came up with was the truly virtuous feel like survivors even when they win the war completely like he talks about how the thing that makes him guilty is nothing to do with Rashawn's death it's what he did to those who snock or whatever yeah um he killed all those motherfuckers and even though he's still there he feels like a he's the survivor even though he's the one who did all the killing or whatever Uh, they talk about his great conscience over and over again Yes. Which I guess is supposed to show that he's a really good dude who's still crippled by this uh, this stuff that happened.
2: It was the only instance ever in history of a hot-blooded genocide. (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty much all cold-blooded because they usually take some planning. It's
1: true. You can't do it by
2: accident. (laughs) Yeah. He was the only one who could... He found the husnock sleeping with his wife. (laughs) And And he just got him. He did the thing. He got him good.
1: Um... Anyway, I, don't, I I felt that's what they were trying to say, was that if you were a bad guy, like, you don't come w- out of that feeling... Winning the,
2: l- even winning the war takes its toll?
1: Yeah, if you're a good guy, winning, winning the war is, is just as bad as losing it because of all the terrible things you had to do or whatever.
2: But, right, I don't hate you, Cardassian. It's what I became because of you. I hate what I became <laughs> yeah. because of you. Someday we'll get to that episode. It's not you I hate, Cardassian. Um... For me, it was only a four. Uh, Ben's a five on it. Okay. He says that this is the ultimate two wrongs don't make a right story. Yeah, Revenge doesn't set things right again. Uxbridge destroying a whole race doesn't bring back his wife or friends, etc. He says that the take isn't strong, but the execution is obviously novel and sci-fi, and he thinks it's Star Trek. Um, He gave it a five. I have a problem with his take. In that, as far as we can tell, he's pretty content with the pretend Rashawn. He's pretty happy with bringing her back that way.
1: Yeah, he was guilty enough to, like, do a bad job of hiding it and spill the beans when the people came. But he
2: wasn't looking for anyone either. Like his subconscious wanted him to be caught. Yeah. Right. Um, There is a... There's a theme running through Star Trek, which is that uh, all of these immortal super beings that they meet are not any smarter than Picard.
1: Not only not smarter, they don't have their shit together.
2: Well, they don't. Yeah, Q has his shit together more, but he is never right about what Picard is going to do. <laughs> yep.
1: Or even what Riker will do.
2: Or even what Riker will do. Yeah. It's like uh, it it posits a universe in which humans are not physically strong, but they are at the top of the chain intellect wise. Like maybe the Vulcans are above them. Yeah, maybe in the TNG And maybe the Romulans, but they're pretty much at the ceiling. Yeah. Because they're about, we know, we've been told 15 times already that they're about to undergo a big transformation and become energy beings, but they're (laughs) apparently not going to get any smarter. That's right. This is true of the fucking brain in an orb that Kirk just met. Yeah. That's true of Trelane.
1: Yeah. Uh, All the others. Obviously,
2: Charlie X's people are not any better.
1: There was that Apollo looking guy. I don't know what his deal was. Apollo
2: not smarter. Yeah. So it's like, um, I guess the writers of Star Trek think that they're just about as smart as it's possible to be. Not scientists. <laughs> just, actually, just the writers but, of Star Trek. But regular dum-dums. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that doesn't, I that I don't count that as world building because it's not. It's an observation about the world. Not like magic is real, which Riker says, of course, too.
1: (laughs) Of course, that's the only thing that makes sense. That's the only thing that could be true. Uh, Ben gives it an eight for execution.
0: Ben's pick of the week.
1: Hi, this
2: is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Yeah, you may have noticed that he gave very good scores in Deep Space Nine. He has this one edging it out by a single point. Yeah. Uh, he says this episode is relatively mysterious. He feels like once Picard figures things out, he doesn't have to keep it a secret. Uh, Picard says we have no law to fit your crime, when he definitely means, I wish I had the power to do a damn thing about what you did, but you're too strong to punish. Yeah, I mean... But he thinks it's a good imagining of guilt at a massive level.
1: Oh, yeah. What would happen if you had the power to do something just real shitty? Yeah. Yeah. Um... I think I wish that they had gotten Picard to say something or indicate that what he was thinking was what good is putting this guy in jail?
2: Yeah. When he says we're not fit to be your judges or whatever. Yeah. That's a, that's kind of a wild anti-Star Trek take too, because it's kind of like, what are we mere? Who are we mere mortals to judge a God? Right. Right.
1: Yeah. That's like something Kirk might say.
2: It's more Kirk, it's definitely more Kirk it's uh, let's just put it this way. Sheridan would not be cool with that, no Sheridan would have shouted at this guy, yeah, um, he gave it an eight for execution. Where are you?
1: hmm, well, not an eight, um all right, this old boy killed every whos snuck everywhere, and that's the root of his guilt and shame, right, yep, so I again, I think what he was trying to say was, uh, wouldn't it if Wouldn't we be so virtuous if this is how we felt about Japan or Germany after World War II or any other victorious thing where we had to kill a lot of people? I'm just trying to describe how it did on my take. Um, He's a survivor, but he has to live on after his own great crimes. Picard not doing anything about this guy and then continuing to praise him over and over again is so weird.
2: (laughs) It is very weird. Like, I think Picard is supposed to forgive him on our behalf. But it is weird that he they introduced the idea of, uh turn myself over to you. What are you going to do with me? Yeah. And then and then for whatever reason, the answer is, well, I think you're really not a bad guy. Yeah. And so I'm going to say we have no law to fit your crime. It's like, he was willing to go to prison.
1: Uh, now, in reality, if there was, was anything like reality, Picard would justifi- justifiably find that pointless because he's yes. a super being and could he would only be in prison because he decided to be, or
2: whatever. Right, he's gonna, exactly. It would have to be self-imposed because he could leave at any time, we presume.
1: Yeah, the, okay, cool, you can keep tabs on him. You know where he is, but other than that, it's nothing.
2: But to keep talking say, about... Honestly, it's not clear what his powers are, but he can wipe out a whole race. It seems like he could probably get out of jail.
1: But to keep talking about his uh, unique and wonderful conscience was weird to yeah. me after he admitted to genocide a minute before. Yeah. Uncle, uh, and I'll ask again. He brought back Rashan. Yes. Is he incapable of bringing back the Hoosnock? I don't understand what his powers are. I wish they would have told us.
2: Uh, I will say that there is some evidence that suggests that his focus is limited. For instance, he's always surprised when Enterprise comes back.
1: Yeah, he's not good at knowing where Enterprise they are. Enterprise can
2: hide from him just by changing their orbit. Right? Yeah. Like... He was able to reach out when Troy, I guess when he detected Troy, and put the music box in her mind, but it seems like he did something to her brain that he doesn't have to do actively. Yeah. Like, he changed her brain so that it's always playing that music, and he had to do something again actively to fix it, right? So it's like, it's not like he's concentrating on Troy when she's got the music box, even though they're light years away from the planet chasing the Hoosnock ship. He can sort of only focus on one thing at a time, it seems like. Yeah.
1: I, I, it just seemed unclear to me what the fuck his powers were and that they were mostly plot generated. Just whatever yes. the plot needed is what he could do or not do. And it felt like they didn't know how to end it. It felt like they raised a question. What would it be like if you could kill if you had that kind of power and then they didn't actually have an answer so they just went, Ugh.
2: Yeah, and Picard in his um forgiveness does not offer anything to help him.
1: No, again, yeah, he sends him back into his weird dreamland.
2: He sends him into his weird isolation whereas he could say, listen, clearly we don't have a prison capable of holding you. But you know what we do probably have that would be a part of uh of the punishment for this? We have uh therapists. <laughs> I right. bet you would have to talk to them as part of your in in the federation that we've seen. If you did a genocide, you probably would spend some time talking to therapists, right? That's probably true. Come, listen, come to the Starbase. The jail part, who cares? As we know, we can't actually keep you there. But we probably have people you could talk to that would help you find a place in this galaxy where you wouldn't be a lone weirdo.
1: Yeah, so you're right. Picard both forgives him for his horrible, horrible crimes and then also doesn't do anything to help him.
2: I mean Picard should have walked out of his quarters And done that wiping your hands on each other Gesture like well done with that Yeah
1: I don't know to me uh, I didn't understand most of the ending of the episode It was a four for me in execution
2: Mm. Uh, I'm a four also I think the acting in this episode mostly works uh, Especially once they've cut Record down from the snare and Picard is running the show (laughs) Yes and I liked that Picard had figured it out and knew that the Enterprise is in no real danger. It's nice when the captain of the ship knows the Enterprise is in no real danger because we always know the Enterprise is in no real danger. That's right. We were on the same page on that one. Right. Um, but there aren't any clues in this that Kevin has power. So there's no way for us to fully solve the mystery. It's not a fair mystery. Right. When Picard says that he thinks there was only one survivor and he's focused on Kevin instead of Rashawn, the the clues aren't there. Like, I've seen this episode a bunch of times. Yeah, it's I watched all it based, knowing the outcome.
1: All based on the fact that she wanted to fight and he didn't want to.
2: Right. And Picard like, somehow. She tells them she's not leaving the planet. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not like it's even him necessarily trying to force them out of there. Yeah. So the clues aren't there so that sucks and I think the B plot is weak and Troy overacts in a couple of spots so I only have it a 4 for execution.
1: Yeah, I I liked this episode better than I scored it actually. Because if you oh, try to, if you try to think about it critically you go this this isn't really holding together.
2: I'm <clears> actually <throat> fairly fond of this episode. The actor who plays Kevin Uxbridge is good and his turn like he delivers his genocide lines yeah. better than I think most people would be able to pull that off.
1: Yeah, I think so because he's got to he's got to do some sci fi talking in there.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he's got to talk about how he killed all the husnock.
1: I don't know how old that actor was, but he looked hell old. Yeah, so that must have been a tough one for him.
2: Um, so so uh, I'm like you, like I like seeing sharp Picard. I think Kevin Oxbridge is pretty good. I think Rashawn is pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Worf has a couple of good Worf, moments yeah. in this one. Yeah. I, I I kind of enjoy watching this, but as a as a piece of uh, art it falls apart because it it doesn't make sense the ending is particularly weak yeah. as you say
1: yeah
2: so I'm a four um Ben gives this one a uh five for world building he wonders if it's the first time we've seen the photon torpedoes fire from the nope. rear i believe we saw that at pilot point
1: yeah yeah.
2: A new race which we know we will never see again. The Dowd. Yeah, he's not even... Uh, na- oh, the Hoosnock 2. I guess right. there's two. Two new
1: races we won't see
2: again. The Hoosnock the we definitely know we won't <laughs> see again. The Dowd I think we merely suspect we'll never see again. He's not even native to this galaxy. He's only been in the galaxy for a thousand years. Right. Uh, He says it's great to have closure on one of these throwaway races for once. Well, then but he says... They if- must not have been important galactically.
1: Yeah, so like they had a lot of power theoretically. I mean I guess this wasn't an, an important colony. It only had ten thousand well, people or
2: whatever. We don't know what their power level we know they were powerful enough to defeat an unarmed Federation colony.
1: Right. Um but I I couldn't tell whether Picard had ever heard
2: of them. It didn't seem like it. Yeah. First of all, if that ship was supposed to be a Hoosnog ship, data has doesn't have it in this database. Yeah, that's true um uh he's a five on world building i am a three okay we learn a couple of things here jordy can take the enterprise from about warp six to warp 9.37 in 15 seconds it's a very specific claim to make yep (laughs) we learn about the aquatic city of new martim vaz okay uh we learn about andorian Raiders or something uh, in the Triangulum renegade System?
1: Andorians
2: renegade Andorians. Andorians in the Triangulum System.
1: Yeah, uh, it's literally Triangular System.
2: Oh, Triangular? hmm I, I gave them too much credit.
1: I saw the subtitle, and then I wrote, whoever wrote that should go to a dungeon.
2: The Triangular the System? The Renegade
1: Andorians in the Triangular System.
2: Uh, it, it is like it being in the Forbidden Zone or something. <laughs> yeah. And then the Life and Death of the Hoosnock, obviously. Uh, so it's a standard three for me.
1: I also had a Standard 3. We already talked about Delta Rana 4. Possess no interstellar spacecraft. What's the Federation? What is this
2: colony? Yeah, how could that be, by the way?
1: Why would you leave a Uh, colony there with only...
2: The house has a fusion reactor with five years of fuel, but no replicator.
1: I don't understand. As always, I don't understand...
2: (laughs) Like, why is it not more efficient to have a centralized power source? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, they don't have a replicator map.
1: I know. I don't know what this colony is and why they don't have anything. Um, Worf can detect a low-yield phaser on his tricorder from outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tau classical music. Uh, again, yeah. those fucking renegade Andorians in the triangular system. Uh, the warp acceleration curve, as described previously. 400 gigawatts of particle energy knocks the shields out pretty quickly.
2: I did like when Riker told Wesley to give them a superior acceleration curve.
1: Because, <laughs> by the way, that's his way of saying he doesn't really know what's going on, but he wants to do better.
2: Accelerate faster than they're accelerating.
1: He's like, they're matching our acceleration curve. And he's like,
2: mm-hmm, uh, I have a suggestion. Mm-hmm, give us a mm-hmm. superior curve. Give he us he a really Pulaski did. Su- he stood right behind Data and said, magnify 10,000 times. <laughs>
1: um... The Dowd, the Husnaka species of hideous intelligence, um, and then inf-
2: uh, by the way, he thinks they're hideously intelligent because they weren't fooled by the same tricks he tried to use on the Enterprise, which also didn't he, fool it's a, Enterprise. It's a little throwaway that he says he tried to fool them and it just made them angrier. <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh, but it's like, nah, Doc, you're just not clever. You're
1: not good at this. Picard figured it out at minute one.
2: Picard was on to you.
1: Does, does he have hideous intelligence as well? Yeah. Um. Infamously, they have no law to fit his crime.
2: He probably fucking thinks Picard does have the power to put him in jail at this point. <laughs> he Here's defeated all of done. my schemes, surprised him like four times, yep. tricked him, yeah, and then beamed him up to the ship
1: and pulled a Poirot
2: on him and Poiroted him. I think if anybody he poirots. he knew about his you, wife being dead.
1: Yeah, if anybody Poirot's you like that, you probably are sort of. He probably can
2: can't keep me in jail.
1: Humble before them.
2: What are you? What are you gonna do with me?
1: <laughs> Go easy on me, gosh. Uh yeah, it was a 3 for me on world building. Um
2: uh Ben gave it a whole uh 7 for characterization. Damn. He thinks Troy was convincing. She seemed like she was in real pain. Good Picard development. Uh It is true that Picard is determined and the other officers are trying to uh just trying to take things at face value and hold their doubts in check. Yeah. I'm guessing you didn't give it as many as 7.
1: I did not. Um Troy is useless before this mission starts. She senses something, but like, who knows what?
2: <laughs> but like, I don't know, man. And
1: then she's very afraid to tell people she has a headache or whatever.
2: Yeah, fucking by the way, nobody nobody in this uh in this season of Star Trek watched um uh, Matter of Honor. Is that the one where Wrecker goes on board the Pog? Uh um
1: mm, Yes.
2: Because no one uses the fucking chain of command. Uh, Wesley in evolution doesn't tell nobody about his fucking nanites. Yep. Troy is just like, hey, this fucking crazy music box going through my head. I'm going to keep that to myself and just go to my quarters and say, I can't do this briefing.
1: I thought you were going to say that they clearly hadn't watched coming of age when Worf says that his greatest fear is relying on others. Yeah, because she should just tell people she's got a dang old weird song headache.
2: No shit, and she'll do this again when she loses her powers. Yeah,
1: she acts like a real bee instead of just telling people what's up.
2: It it doesn't make any sense in in this version of the future, the Enterprise that we've seen, that people don't just tell the truth about what's going on. Yeah. That everyone's so secretive.
1: Especially when... Look, the timing is maybe just coincidental, but it was when they came to this place. So maybe it has something to do with the shit on the planet. Who knows? Anyway... Uh, Riker plays that booby trap thing. Pretty cool. Yeah. I think he's embarrassed and wants it to be over. So he's like, no, 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 don't worry about it, guys. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Hey,
2: guys. Hey. Well, I would be. I mean, Worf (laughs) was right in the middle of telling him there was a fucking booby trap and he put his foot in
1: it. Did Jordy see something on his visor, too? Oh, Jordy saw it on his visor. Yeah. (laughs) The usual. But too late. Um, later... Again, just blasting Deanna with his laser eyes throughout this entire staff briefing. I couldn't get over the fact that he's sitting next to Picard and has his back turned completely to him. Yep. How did Picard not be like, uh, hey, we're having a meeting?
2: Uh, you know, Picard walked in there and he was like, oh, he's big dog on the rest of the staff right now.
1: <laughs> he's doing. Well, his he thing. wants it
2: to be me and him talking to them <laughs> instead of a round table. All right, I'll let him feel like he's involved. There's a fucking assistant manager who's <laughs> standing up behind the boss when everyone else is sitting down. And he's always going, that's right
1: uh-huh what he said um uh okay um, Worf uh, loves this Kevin Oxbridge guy <laughs> loves his big old nuts
2: he does because Worf knows that phaser don't work but he still pulls it on him he's like it uh, took uh <sighs> it was an act of unmitigated gall <laughs> and he likes gall I admire gall
1: Um. and he will stake his reputation on the knocks getting out of dodge <laughs> He gets burned! He gets burned a few times on that one, but it's not really his fault, it's fake. And
2: Picard just burns him with a look. (laughs) Yeah, none of it's real, so none of it was his fault, but yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, Worf hates this lady's tea, but is too polite to say so. (laughs) Which I enjoyed. He makes a face. It's a good small touch again. He makes a great face when he drinks that tea. And he says, nice house. Good tea. Good tea. Nice house. Good tea, nice house. Um... I really enjoyed Worf this week. He did. They didn't give him anything good to do, but he had some good lines. Yep. Um, again, Picard's advice to Troy is to take sleeping pills, not call a doctor. Catches on pretty quickly to this Hoosnuck ruse. Um, he's sharp as hell, but then why does he believe him to be a creature of conscience? Why does he keep saying it? What is it based in?
2: Well, Picard can tell when someone's telling him the truth, I guess.
1: It's... Uh... That is the real weakness of characterization in this episode for me, is Picard
2: hearing... Yeah, unless Picard can tell that he's tortured by something and he's like five steps ahead and figured out that Oxbridge did something it, bad. That's fine, but that like... That he did
1: it bad. Even if someone was tortured by it, the fact that they did a genocide would definitely uh, preclude the possibility for me that they were a man of special conscience.
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing you have to remember is that Picard iced his own clone. <laughs> I
1: know. And, yeah, I get it. But I'm just saying it's, it's a weakness of Picard's character that he believes that. It's what I'm
2: saying. He definitely thinks that there's justifiable killing. Um, and the justification might just be you're not supposed to be here.
1: So for me, the weakness is how Troy acts and how Picard acts in this. And so for me, it was just a four.
2: I'm a little better. I'm a five. <clears throat> um... Sharp Picard, Worf has a few good moments. This is one of the episodes where everyone decides to roll with Picard's strange orders instead of throwing a mutiny brunch. <laughs> I
1: was a little bit worried for a second.
2: When he but was, I think that's because this is season three now and mutiny brunch is season one shit.
1: When he was uh, waiting in his Although ready room. Allegiance is still coming. When he was in his ready room and Riker walked in, I was worried for a second. Yep, I was like, oh shit, is Riker going to threaten a mutiny?
2: Uh, I thought there were no real misses in this one. I mean, again, we've talked about it. Troy, not professional, yeah, but Troy's the least professional member of this of this team, anyway. That's true. You can tell because she's just wearing a blue dress. That's true. <laughs> like she's out. She's the she's the outsider in the on the bridge. Um. Yeah, I thought nothing terrible happens in this one character-wise. Nothing great. I gave it to the, down the middle five.
1: Um. What about quick hitters?
2: Uh, first of all, Ben points out that this is the first time we see Troy's uh, new Aqua uniform.
1: It's um, fucking hideous.
2: Well, we're going to keep seeing it. This shit, She has two outfits and it goes in the rotation.
1: And honestly, in season seven, she's still wearing shit like this.
2: Yeah. Um, in this episode, sensors can't detect life until they're focused on an area the crew has already seen visually, huh?
1: Yeah, the sensors are different all the time.
2: They don't find those guys down on the planet until uh, Geordi goes, hey, it's fucking green down there. Why is it green?
1: I wonder if they even have sensors on the Enterprise-D or if Geordi is just the sensors.
2: (laughs) He just has to go look out a window. Uh, Why did Crusher assume it was a nuclear holocaust?
1: Yeah, they say that a couple of times, and I was confused by that. Me too. She's like, if it was a nuclear holocaust, they may be suffering from radiation poisoning.
2: And I went, hmm? Huh? Where did that come from? No one said that. Honestly, it looks like this planet got borged.
1: Yeah, like that planet is scorched.
2: Yeah. That, uh, 50,000 square foot building is a typ- typical settlement structure, huh?
1: <laughs> With a few alterations or whatever they say.
2: House is fucking wild. It's huge. <laughs> House has 400 windows.
1: Well, what is this colony, though? What is it? Yeah.
2: Uh... Kevin Uxbridge only gives Troy music box brain Because he doesn't know that nobody ever cares About her little insights
1: Well normally she's not useful
2: That her saying I don't know there's something off About these guys is never gonna spur Anyone to action
1: Yeah I mean if anything that's not I mean that's not saying anything More than when they go down there the first time and the guy's Real weird and wants him to leave Yeah, Like they already know there's
2: something weird about this guy Yeah she was not a threat to him Yep he did not have to give her a music box, brain.
1: Was there something behind the scenes they wanted to take her out of this episode for some reason? Was she being punished?
2: I didn't read anything about that. Okay. Maurice Hurley is already gone. Yeah, because so.
1: that sounded like the kind of thing he would do. But I just, that was a real
2: Hurley move. I
1: just wonder, because she spends most of the episode in a coma. So.
2: <clears throat> no, Doug, we're past the point where uh, people have to constantly praise other women in front of her.
1: <laughs> That's right. What is this? Oh, oh this is a thing with boobs. What is it? Oh well, yeah, no, I saw that other one, but what's this one with the uh, little afro?
2: I like Ooh, her. I got into that, huh? She looks like a woman. Um, like the Husnock ship model. Yeah, it is pretty cool. Good tea, nice house. <laughs> I didn't feel like Picard needed to tell Ruchan that she wasn't real.
1: Yeah, but he was having his Poirot moments. So.
2: Yeah, he had, that was for the benefit of Riker.
1: it's <laughs> right. He's explaining to everyone else. What this was, was he was telling
2: Riker what he had missed in this whole scenario.
1: Riker gets to be Hastings,
2: and then of course, No Law to Fit Your Crimes. I gave Best Actor to No Law to Fit Your Crimes. Picard. I actually kind of liked the way he delivered those little quiet moments at the end there. Oh, uh, we're g- like. It felt it felt real yeah. until you stopped and thought about it.
1: No, he's good. He's a good actor, and you're gonna see. Yeah. There's a lot of quiet deliveries in season three that are outstanding by Picard. Yes,
2: and uh, the worst actor I gave to you, the music is so loud now, Troy.
1: <laughs> uh, let's see. I did not remember that this Hoosnock business only happened three days ago. <laughs> yep. That is wild to me. So they get there, it is fresh. He has a just murdered those fuckers.
2: Yeah, by the way, I think that is, there's more evidence that Uxbridge cleaned up that planet because yeah. three days after doing that to the planet, there should still be a lot of shit in the atmosphere. Yeah,
1: it should be fucking winter there. Like, there's... It would not
2: have settled back down as dust.
1: So I think he did a cleanup and that's why the perfect square of grass is left and no bodies yeah. or anything.
2: It must have been nasty with bodies.
1: Um... If I'm Riker, I'm not going to beam down to this devastation planet.
2: <laughs> Picard's like... Yeah, we, I guess he can't turn to Picard and say, It looks like it sucks down there. Are we sure? <laughs>
1: like he goes, Get your away team together. And Riker just goes, Yeah, okay. But I'd be like, um, You just told me this whole planet was fucking torched.
2: Hey, like, honestly, I think there might be ghosts down there. Like,
1: Yeah, there's that one perfect square down there. You know I've I mean? never
2: believed in ghosts before, but looking at this planet is giving me vibes. That
1: is a ghost square? I recognize it from orbit. I know what ghost squares look like. That green one right there.
2: Uh, I guess that's the military, though. You can't just turn to Picard and say, <laughs> pass. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so as a part of his ruse about being uh, just a regular old old guy dancing and having tea, he has booby traps on his lawn?
2: What's the booby trap for? Is
1: it to stop the orbital bombardment?
2: He wants them to go away. I
1: can I get that.
2: I think that's the booby trap in the phaser. But like Or here's the wild thought. Did Rashawn put a fucking booby trap in their lawn <laughs> before the Hoosnock actually wiped out the planet? She was just like, okay, step one, let's booby trap this bitch. <laughs>
1: that's right. When those terrible Hoosnock come here, they're gonna get it.
2: They'll step right in a snare.
1: Maybe it worked on Riker.
2: Or was it like, she was like, we got a fight, and he was like, here's a compromise. <laughs> I was a boy scout. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to build a deadfall trap and trap a hoosnock under a log. Yeah,
1: a compromise, we stay here, but we have so many pranks.
2: <laughs> we got to
1: prank them real good. Like, have you seen Home Alone? We're going to do some business <laughs> on these guys. I'll
2: pull that phaser on them. They won't know it doesn't work. That's right.
1: Um, How come at no point does he go, why did I create such a bitch of a wife? Because she's always telling him he's being rude and not to be that way and to let the people into his house.
2: Oh, that's what he loves about her. Oh, she's okay. never turned anyone away from their house in her life, and she's not going to start now.
1: Again, I have questions about how this Hoosnok attack went down, because she keeps talking about how the people went to go fight them. I just, yep. I don't understand what happened. Um, well, the
2: Hoosnok fight in um, in big uh, big squares, big ranks and files, it's basically like the Revolutionary War. <laughs>
1: Uh let's see. Hey Kevin Uxbridge, a man of special conscience. What about that guy who got exploded on that panel on the bridge? He's not smart. You did that to that guy. Why hurt that guy? These people came to help you, you dick. Special conscience. And where and special conscience for Troy, special conscience for all the who's not. I don't <laughs> buy it.
2: That's what makes his conscience special, it's complicated. <laughs> And again, it's not regular conscience. Don't hurt people.
1: That scene where they just go down there and they're just dancing. um, They both look like fucking brainwashed weirdos in that scene. Yeah. I, if I had walked in and they were doing that, I, I would have been like, everything that I think is confirmed. This is definitely some kind of weirdness. Um, And you're right. Uxbridge really sucks at this. That ship yeah. blowing up from one torpedo after the last fight showed they were invincible is so dumb
2: yeah it, he's not good at it it's no wonder the Hoosnock weren't fooled it's
1: crazy how dumb he is he
2: has that huge powerful ship appear and then it shoots picard real bad and then it runs away it doesn't run away so fast that they never have a hope of catching up mm-hmm. it exactly matches their speed
1: no matter how superior right. riker demands they be he's not good at
2: I it. i know he's bad
1: uh and then finally when one of the times when the house reappears you get a textbook you better come see this from geordie Oh yeah, which I have
2: always I always try to keep track of. <laughs> well, and by the way, often from Jordy.
1: Te- Jordy does it a lot, but normally it's because he's in engineering and he's lonely and he wants him to come to engineering. <laughs> yeah, but, but in this case, he's at the back station on the bridge, and Riker's it, and Picard's in his ready room. It's like, just go get him or something, or you could just tell him, "Hey, come out here. The house is back." But he goes, "Captain, you better come see this.
2: Hey, you li- just like you seemed to be expecting the house is back." <laughs> That's
1: right. This is not a surprise at all, in fact. So I can just tell you about it. Um, what did Ben have for uh, quick ones? Just the aqua, the ugly aqua uniform. Just okay. the just the
2: debut of the aqua dress. Okay.
1: Well, we've we've done a long episode, and we still got one to go.
2: We do, and in fact, even before that, we need to do a quick run on oh, yeah. the actor rankings for TNG. All right. There's almost no difference between us, so I'll just uh, read them off. We have Picard at the top, then Guinan. Yep. Jordy coming in three and Worf coming in four. Yep, uh, we're flip flopped on Crusher and Troy. Yep. I think it's a, a kind of a recency thing. Haven't seen anything out of Crusher. Yes, in the couple of episodes she's been back, and I, Troy occasionally puts in a good performance.
1: I didn't know what to do with Crusher. I only remembered that in season one she was better than I like originally remembered.
2: Yeah. So either way, they're tied for fifth. Yep. Uh, then we have Riker, and then Wesley and Data were flipped on, and we've got them tied for last.
1: Um, I do believe, just to say, just to defend this, I believe Spiner is a better actor than Will Wheaton. What
2: makes it so and close... A lot of a lot of the writing is hurting Data.
1: What, what makes it so close is that Brett Spiner makes so many bad decisions. I see. <laughs> I feel like he's definitely a better actor. Will Wheaton can't even read his lines right. But... <laughs> But Spiner chooses to do things that are so wrong all the time.
2: Like when he uh, essentially pulls out his collar and goes, oh, and you're like, well, why why
0: would you do (laughs) that? That's not
1: what you should be doing. So when I get to those two at the bottom, I'm like, all right, bad actor, bad choices, bad actor, bad choices. Uh, And the last one is uh, uh, we had a weird win from Enterprise.
2: That's right. Enterprise scraped a win last week. So the last episode we have to talk about. Uh, this week is Bounty. Uh Enterprise is as usual explore on some planet and they got people down on shore leave or whatever. Mm. Um but they're called back up, and they have a rendezvous with a Tellarite shuttle, I guess. Uh, it's helmed by Captain Scalar. Yep. He claims he's a miner. He knows all the hot spots on this planet, and he's going to act as their guide. Um, t like, sort of not having it, because the Vulcans know about these guys, and apparently they're pretty argumentative. Right. Because there was that throwaway line in Journey to Babel that said that. <laughs> that's right. So no, now they argue for no reason.
1: Now it's that that good, good lore.
2: That's right. Um. But, you know, uh, Archer's going to do this thing because uh, that's how he rolls. But the second they get down to the docking bay and let Skullar in, he shoots Archer and trip with a phaser and takes Archer with him. Right. He, uh, he disables the nacelles for a minute with a weapons blast and slips off to warp. And Enterprise has to get everybody back up from the surface, including uh, T-Pole and Phlox, before they can chase after them. Uh, Here's the deal, though. T-Pole and Phlox are stuck in decontamination because they picked up a microbe down on the planet. I'm just going to run the whole B story at once. Yeah, get rid of it. This microbe... Oh, it's raining. This microbe uh, has brought on Ponfar Uh. in T-Pole. And she's crazy horny. And there ain't but one dude around, and it's Phlox. And despite their very open attitudes about sexuality, Phlox is shy, and also she's his patient, and she's been incapacitated by a weird microbe. Mm. So again, I don't know what consent is like in the future, but doesn't seem like she could give it anyway. So yeah. for all the obvious reasons, he's not having it. She keeps telling him he's got the cure for her, and it's that good D. <sighs> he tries to whip up like a serum to keep her shit under control. Uh, but she escapes and goes running through the corridors And they have to evacuate the deck And send Reed and a security team out Don't send Reed She's running around in her undie pants God. Uh, She rubs up on Reed pretty good too When she finds him uh, But eventually they drag her back to the fucking de- uh, Quarantine yeah. and Where he gives her a medicine And she fucking sleeps it off And then she's okay And she's like I don't remember what happened but, And he's like Ah, oh, it's cool
1: And she's like, don't tell anyone about it. And he's like, too fucking late.
2: Anyway, half the fucking episode is her being (laughs) extremely horny.
1: Enterprise keeps doing this to us.
2: Yeah, it's real bad. Here's the other plot. Uh, Archer is now on the shuttle, and he's behind a fancy force field made of hula hoops. (laughs) And he overhears Skalar talking to a Klingon named Goroth. And Mm. it turns out that there's a bounty on his head. oh And uh this Tellerite is trying to collect on it. He He tells him, Hey, look, you know you know they're gonna kill me. You know that's the plan, right? But this guy's like, Listen, I got debts, I need this money, yeah. it's a lot of money. Archer then overhears him talking to his brother on the radio. He's going to get this ship back that the Klingons have impounded. It's This freighter is his only love. Yeah, that's what this money's going to get it. him, right? And it's going to get him this ship back. It's the best freighter you've ever seen. It can haul a million metric tons at warp 4.5. Another bounty hunter shows up. Name is Kagodar.
1: Yeah, this guy was awesome.
2: And he's going <laughs> to... He had these. Uh, he had these big eyes, and he was kind of crazy. The was, was crazy big eyed alien. There was
1: something about him. I don't know what it was. But it was fucking. It's great. hard to say. It was great.
2: Something auto parts. I don't really know. <laughs> um, the deal. Uh, he's gonna. He's gonna take Archer. <clears throat> yeah. Apparently, uh, Skalar took so long to get Archer that Goroth. Uh, he also contracted with this guy.
1: He contracted two dudes for this.
2: So they're doing a space fight. This shuttle's not really meant for fighting. Skalar can't do the fight and also fly. Archer's a pilot. So he lets Archer out. They I feel uh, like release we do some beacons. Every time
1: he's captured, he convinces someone his piloting skills will be necessary.
2: Yep. That's his trait. Yeah, pilot. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, they've got these beacons that he previously used to trick enterprise. So enterprise went off in the wrong direction when they finally got their warp engines back. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, but he uses these beacons so that the guy doesn't know where to fire on. He goes deep into the atmosphere, causes the other guy's ship to crash, although he survives it. Uh, but their ship also goes down cause it's got engine trouble. Archer pr- makes like he's gonna repair it, which is when he finds out all about this freighter and, mm. Uh, the scholar has got this brother His name is uh, Gavran or something yep. And he He doesn't really want him to do this He's like look This is not The money is not gonna fix things
1: Yeah you know that ship don't work no more right
2: Well he doesn't just come out and tell him that Because uh, That would end the episode I guess <laughs> That's right But the guy's like look we're gonna get the We're gonna get the fucking ship back And his brother's like look this is not gonna solve things Anyway Archer sabotages the engines, which makes Skalar mad, so they have to go to a station to get a part. Yeah. And that's where we finally meet the brother, and the brother reveals to him, look, the Klingons tore that ship apart.
1: Yeah. You ain't getting like, that I
2: know back. you think you're going to unimpound it, but that ship is garbage now. They took the engines. They took everything. Yeah. And this turns it around in Skalar's mind, I guess, because now he's like, "Well, oh, what the fuck has this even been for? But... <laughs> Uh, Goroth knows he's got him So he can't just let Archer go Yeah
1: cause then he'd be killed
2: So they <laughs> scheme up a diehard, <laughs> Where he gives Archer a lockpick And so when the Klingons take Archer Back to their weird looking ship uh, He gets himself out of his handcuffs And he knocks Klingons out with those handcuffs And he steals a disruptor and he fucking shoots his way To an escape pod Yep Apparently he didn't plan beyond that because then he just ejects in the escape pod and fucking floats there while the Klingons turn around. But good news. Here comes enterprise.
1: Yeah, It was perfectly
2: planned. Uh, enterprise meanwhile had gone and talked to Kago dar down on the planet. And they, so they'd learned about the Klingon bounty and everything. They went off in the right direction this time. Yeah. Uh, they fight dumbly for a minute until enterprise grapples the pod and disables the Klingon ship and retreats. And, uh, I don't know. Then on the bridge, Archer calls Sklar and says goodbye. But it's like. We
1: are now best friends.
2: That's it. So. um, Boof. What was this
1: episode about? Life is just a series of cages, bro. You got (laughs) T-Pole in the decontamination room and
2: (laughs) Archer in that guy's hula hoop prison. Well, also, don't forget the cage of her intense sexuality.
1: Yeah, I'm playing. This had no take. It's a zero. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There's nothing. There's nothing here. I don't know. Did you have a take? I couldn't find one.
2: I mean, I did. It's just for the A plot. The B plot obviously is a no take. Yeah. Uh, you can't build a good life by being a bad guy. Ooh. Um. Scalar is willing to do stuff that he's clearly uncomfortable with. Right. Because yeah. Because he's got this dream that he's going to get his ship back and repair his relationship with his brother.
1: He's like the world's softest bounty hunter.
2: He is the world's softest bounty hunter. Um his brother's mad at him and he doesn't like he's it. Really... But he's going to buy this ship back and he's going to make his brother the first mate of the ship and they're going <laughs> to cruise the galaxy and they're great friends.
1: They're going to be space brothers forever.
2: Right. Um but of course he has to learn the hard way that this none of this makes sense that you can't you can't keep being a bad guy and just like I guess the plan is just stop being a bad guy at some point and hope that you can forget it and you don't have weird Kevin Uxbridge guilt. Right. Here is the problem with a this a take. Mm. Well, first of all, the B plot doesn't factor into it at all. Second of all, it doesn't seem credible that this guy could have gotten into this line of work, mm-hmm. and also that doing this for the Klingons hasn't burnt out the good part of him. Yeah. So, it's like, it's too much. It's too much, too fast, and it's it's dumb that he didn't know that the ship had been cannibalized. But, there's nothing really wrong with the take. I gave it as many as four points.
1: Yeah, you're right. The guy says he's uh, taken dozens of prisoners and they all claim to be innocent. But, apparently, that didn't yeah. do anything for him before now.
2: Right. Yeah. Because he still had this big dream. Yeah. Um. Ben thinks that the two plots are tied together with the uh, or the two, yeah, with the take uh, necessity makes unusual bedfellows. This is, I guess, literal in the case of the B plot.
1: Well, what is the necessity there? That they have to be contaminated? She's gotta fuck
2: or die, dog. It's the stupidest thing that ever happened, but Star Trek did it in the 60s.
1: Yeah, it's just, my problem is they don't do it.
2: They don't fuck. They don't fuck. For real. (laughs) They straight up don't, but I mean, flock still helps her. Yeah, it's true. And uh, uh, Ben is a, a two for execution. Okay. He, he again, decon Chamber Time, Teeple, flocks is gross. Yep, it's a yep. double gross. Yep, yes. Uh, Ponfar. Uh-huh. He says it's weird to set up tension that way, and watching her writhe is terrible. I
1: hated so much of this.
2: Um, the Klingons want Archer back, so there's kind of some continuity there. Sure. Uh, why does Archer think that the bad guy's ship is more maneuverable in the atmosphere than the other guy's ship, et cetera? Uh He's a two on execution. Um, and to me, that's two points, too generous. <laughs> so this is a rare take with a zero execution from me. Yeah, And here's why. As far as I can tell, no one in our cast learns anything or changes in any way.
1: Oh, yeah, that has nothing to do with the crew of Enterprise. I mean, the B plot yeah, does, it, but it's... In the,
2: in the A plot, Archer and Trip are playing a bit part in some other guy's life. Yep. And definitely no one learns anything from the T-Pole situation. No. So that's very unsatisfying. Yeah. And then on top of that, there's a lot of gross, unnecessary sex garbage. Yeah. I don't think any good work was done in this episode at all. You're not. So not. it's a zero.
1: You're not wrong. I have, uh, man, gross, I don't want this in my trick. This escape plan in the end is followed so precisely. How are they able to pull it off so perfectly? That right when his Ah. little pod goes out, without any communication with Enterprise, Enterprise shows up.
2: Well, at some point in here, Skolar must have told him, Oh, by the way, Klingons do have escape pods. I know previously you were told that they don't.
1: But guess what? They Turns out they do. Yeah, you should use one. And again, good thing this was such a soft boy collecting this bounty. Um to me it's a one. Cause you know, I don't I don't necessarily follow
2: the no take means no execution rule. But that's not what I did this time. But yes, no, no, I, I but, but I take. You no take, yeah. It. So yeah, and you gave it one for yeah uh... Uh... Did you find uh did you find anything in world building? Ben gave it a three for viruses triggering Ponfar and the Tellarites, etc.
1: Yeah, here's what I got. It's March of 2153 at this point. Uh, Tellarites. Even the people in the show are mentioning this curtain in the decontamination bay to prevent yeah. people from being too sexy with each other. And then what happens?
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> this time the sexiness is uh, mandatory. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dang, I'll let me jot on a note. Hold on.
2: <laughs> you writing that i said this time the sexiness is mandatory Just
1: uh, is that what you're gonna call the episode i don't know maybe i'm thinking
2: about it
0: um
1: <laughs> male denobulins are more inhibited than the females of the species unclear as to why
2: well his wife was crazy so
1: i mean he says it with his mouth but he doesn't say whether that's environmental or uh, uh nature of their genders or what it is um Uh, Klingons use bounty hunters to catch fugitives. Uh, crazy infection that activates t Pole's sexy times. Ponfar is once again something they don't discuss with others. Hey, I don't want to talk about it too much. Why doesn't Rubbin' that old bean work? Like, how does biology Uh, know if she's mating with a man or not? Yeah. I don't know, because it's a gene... If
2: any man, if any man will do.
1: because it's a Gene Roddenberry idea, is that why...
2: Yeah, correct. Okay. I don't, uh, and, and furthermore, it's wild that he doesn't suggest it. Yeah. It's wild that he doesn't say, well, go behind the curtain. Yep.
1: And do what you got to do. I'll plug my base. ears.
2: <laughs> I'll go to the other part of this chamber, yeah, I'll go to the I other, guess. Yeah, the other, the outside. The, I'll go to the um, antechamber that for some reason exists. <laughs> yeah. And you, <laughs> you, you know, stay I'll just in give here. you like, you know what? I'll give you a solid hour. You stay in here. And you conjure up whatever images you need. Let me know when you're done.
1: Yeah Um, Fire Salt Archer was the only one ever to escape Rurapente They may have indicated that when he actually did it But I didn't remember
2: Um, Despite the fact that all he had to do was bribe someone to get him out Frankly it seems like there should have been more escapees (laughs) So are they just at war with the Klingons now? cuz they i mean aggressive persona non grata it's not clear what the diplomatic situation is Cause they may not be worth declaring war for the klingons because there's one only ship. one starship
1: cuz they just straight aggressively open fire on this klingon vessel they disable it yeah it's true. not good um anyway for it me it was a standard 3
2: <sighs> tellarites interspecies bounding hunting Ponfar can be brought on prematurely Darsex. The Klingons use a currency called Darsex. Great. What is the economy? Or at least they pay bounty hunters in Darsex. Yeah, someone's
1: using it. What is the economy of the future?
2: Uh, and then I guess what what would be a good freighter? Like what's good for a freighter? We learned a little bit it's about. it. True. <laughs> we
1: learned about that good freighter he had.
2: Uh, frankly, I gave it as many as four points. Oh, all right. There you go.
1: So this episode didn't fail at everything.
2: We know that there, but there can be an economy.
1: Yeah, I just don't know, just know what a, it is.
2: It's just that it's a third rail, right? Yeah. So they never want to talk about it. Uh, in terms of characterization, Dave. Uh, first of all, Ben's a three. Okay. Uh, he says that Flocks has a ridge on his back. I don't consider that a character trait.
1: <laughs> what would you say is, is uh, like the most apparent
2: characteristic of Flocks? Ridges. Just as a character, he's got a lot of ridges. Um... He doesn't buy Phlox's reticence, although again he is her doctor. Yeah. Um, he says that uh, it very, very much lacks dignity, the way they uh, <laughs> treat poor T I mean, And that is—he's not wrong. That's a big understatement. <laughs> it's not in the neighborhood of it's dignity. True,
1: I didn't find that a dignified performance.
2: Yeah. He says Archer's just archering it up, so that's fine. And normal doesn't really do anything. Uh, I am inclined to agree. Yeah. I'm a three also. Right. Um, Archer and Trip are fine. No problems with them. I like Flocks being a little bit shy. Yeah. Everything happening with T-Pole is a garbage fire.
1: It really is.
2: It's a garbage fire that was either network mandated or the perverts on the staff wanted it or both or both and it's terrible and this is three points
1: yeah uh archer plays psychological games with the world's softest bounty hunter archer loves to fight prone like the cheapest 10 year olds on call of duty (laughs) Um, he does get down prone real quick doesn't he (laughs) cheap T-Pole has got the dang pawn far which is excellent thank
2: you brandon braga
1: nasty she noticed the way reed looks at her i was hoping for her sake she had never noticed that
2: oh oh by the way because it's premature ponfar brought on by a fucking virus it leaves open that she could get ponfar for real later
1: oh i'm you know
2: we don't have to wait seven years for it
1: i hope it won't happen but you never know
2: Um, no i didn't like the way you said well i'm just
1: saying i don't know anyone (laughs) could say one way or the other everything's 50 50 um (laughs) Uh, Phlox plays it as cool as possible with T-Pole. Reed is still gross, but at least he doesn't fuck her. It's a three for me as oh. well.
2: Oh, by the way, also it's, uh, it's a elogium again.
1: Oh, it is a Logium again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true.
2: Except Schmollis would have fucked her. <sighs> do you say three?
1: It's a three for me as well. Mm, uh, I can do quick ones. They're quick. Let's have those quick ones. I got two quick, quick ones. This Tellerite is one of the Skalar brothers. Yep. And then I had, uh, 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 is Kagodar Gawron
2: Yeah, he's definitely Gowron. He's Gowron. I was getting hard Gawron vibes from him, <laughs> but I wasn't 100% sure, so I looked it up at the end.
1: I looked it up, but I already knew the answer. His voice was, he just did Gowron.
2: Yeah, he's, well, he does Gowron even when he's in the holodeck in the Dixon Hill, so. <laughs> That's
1: kind of true, and he does it in that VCR game we had.
2: That's true, where he's playing a different Klingon who looks exactly like Gowron. The one who
1: is moving now! Answer me! (laughs) You lose gravity in your section and lose two turns! (laughs) Uh, but That's all I had.
2: Um. I wrote, aw, Phlox is shy. Yep. (sighs) Um. Reed loves to blow something up.
1: Yeah, he does. Uh,
2: Then I wrote getting Gowron vibes from this second bounty hunter. Does T'Pol not know the word horny?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Because
2: they go a long way around where she says she's hungry. And he says their food will be there real soon. And she says, it's not food I want. And then I'm like, did she not know the word?
1: She doesn't know any
2: any of the synonyms. Was she hoping that the surprise of that would push him over the line? Ugh.
1: Yeah, like he was like, no, all right, you can have it. Uh,
2: when they make this, or when they're leaving, and Archer's like, I don't know, man, are the Klingons going to be mad at you about this? And Skalar's like, they don't know I gave you a lockpick. Hey, the last time we saw the Klingons, uh, it was a, a Duras' family member, Duras' ancestor, mm. making a lot of excuses for losing to Enterprise. <laughs> so I wouldn't be too comfortable I know. if I were in this guy's shoes.
1: Oh, I was going to say to you earlier, how much do you want to bet? This guy was like, "Uh, I can't just let you go because Goroth is, he knows that I have you and that'd be bad for me. But then the guy just goes, no, you know what? I can't do it though. I don't have, I don't have it in me. I'll just let you go. And then Archer went, no, that's not actiony enough. I've got a plan. (laughs) I've got a plan. I've got a plan. I'll go to prison and I'll break out and I'll shoot the shit out of these guys.
2: Uh, and then the last thing I wrote here, and I'm not proud of it, was if you were a rich Klingon, could mm-hmm. you say you've got Darsex for parsecs?
1: There you go. That's what you would say. Hold on.
2: <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I gave the best actor to Skalar and the worst actor to Goroth.
1: Uh, Goroth wasn't that
2: I didn't not that I didn't like Kagodar, but like <laughs> it's just Galron with a different makeup, so I, I loved whatever weird little alien he was supposed to be. Um the numbers are in.
1: Oh, thank God. This was a long one.
2: In fifth oh, oh, place wait, 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 this week. Wait,
1: wait, wait, we have to do the actor ranking.
2: Oh shit. Yeah, we do. Alright. So the Enterprise Actor Rankings. Alright. Uh we are there are some differences in our rankings here. Okay. We both have Flocks at the top and we both have trip in second. Okay. So those two are locked down. Then in third I have uh T Pole. Okay. You have Reed. Yeah, and this is what I'm very curious about. Yep. I want to know what good work you've been seeing out of Reed <laughs> that I know. have completely missed. You know I have because I have him in sixth.
1: You know I haven't seen any good work out of him. I've seen not as many bad works out of him as some of the other. People. I see. So what I'm saying is, I wanted to talk about this real briefly because we've we've gone so long. Um, sometimes you can do uh, exactly what they have asked you to do with a character, and the problem is not your acting; it's the terrible character that they made. And for me Reed neither helps nor harms. The actor who plays Reed doesn't help or harm his character. He's neutral. His character is fucking terrible. But I think he's doing exactly what he's supposed
2: to be doing with that worthless character. Interesting. Um you have T-Paul fourth. Mm. Uh, I have Hoshi fourth. Now, I think we don't she's not written to do anything, yeah, but I've rarely she's in had it. well-acted scenes mostly. Okay. In fifth place, we both have Archer. It's just There a are shame. only seven people on this list. I
1: know. It's such a shame that it's built around him. And he's. it's not even that the character sucks. It's, the
2: actor's not good. Sixth is where you have Reed and I have. No, I have Hoshi. Ho, uh, so you have Hoshi and I have Reed. Yeah. And then in seventh, we agree on Mayweather. So the final, uh, the current ranking is Phlox, Trip, T-Pole, Reed, then Hoshi and Archer tied, then Mayweather.
1: Yeah. Uh, when do you want to revisit these, like seventy-five or something?
2: So, let's say uh, here's the thing about seventy-five. Uh, seventy-five is real close to the end of Enterprise, so let's just say when Enterprise ends, because uh, I think that's seventy-nine or eighty,
1: right? Like, what you mean, Tos?
2: A Tos, sorry, yeah. Tos. Yeah, when
1: Tos ends, we'll do actor rankings. It'll be, so a f- we'll, be we'll
2: do a wrap up on a Tos and check in on the others when after uh, Turnabout Intruder. Yeah. All right. Scores are in.
1: All right, back to it.
2: Uh. Back in last place for the first time in a while, uh, Bounty with 18. So Enterprise uh, down in last place. I gave it seven. You did give it seven. I only gave it 11. (laughs) So not great. In uh, fourth place this week, uh, very comfortable for them, Voyager Futures End Part 2 with 22 points. Back to back. 18, by the way, is extremely terrible. 22 is also quite bad.
1: Well, I don't know if you noticed that Bounty got a 1 in execution. (laughs) It sure did. It's not good.
2: In third place this week, and they've been sitting in third place for a while, Mm. TOS Patterns of Force.
1: Yeah, it used to be Enterprise's spot, but TOS seems to have staked it out.
2: They are reliably third place now. Yeah. With 30 points, uh, the runner-up this week, TNG, with the Survivors.
1: We each had that as a 15. And for you, that was slightly above average. And for me, it was slightly below average.
2: Yep, exactly. And um, the winner this week, 13th win, Deep Space Nine, second skin. Uh, 34 points is not a great week. Not a great winner for the week. For instance, the Enterprise episode that won last week got 35. Right. Um, But I guess you just have to beat the competition. So this week, the best episode was second skin. Now, DS9 has 13 wins. Yeah. TNG has 15. Yep. TOS has 16.
1: They all in it. It's a three-way race. It's crazy. You would not it, have thought after the bad season 1 of Deep Space 9.
2: For sure. In terms of averages, Deep Space 9 is a solid is solidly in a second tier below TOS and TNG in terms of just points. Right. But on raw wins, you got to think they're right in this. Yeah. And again, we talked about it. There's some stinkers coming up in Season 7 of TNG when it's just going to be TNG, DS9, and Voyager. It's not crazy to think that DS9 could pull out a win.
1: They are putting themselves in position to be in it, and then it's like a matter of what happens with some other long Dominion War stuff that starts to happen.
2: Next week, next time we do this, next week's a mailbag, we are watching, by any other name.
1: God, that sounds like a, that sounds like the episode that would be about data if it was TNG.
2: It sure would be. Dog, we've got who watches the watchers. Dog. Oh, oh, this is
1: gonna have so much. This must have a good premise, right?
2: Uh, we'll I mean, to, it's gotta.
1: We'll have to see, but I think it must.
2: I mean, this is by the way, this is a strong prime directive episode. Yes, they fucked this up so bad they almost give these people religion. <sighs>
1: Which is, you know, Picard's least Hateful favorite to Picard. Idea. Yeah. Hateful.
2: The DS9 episode we're watching is called The Abandoned.
1: I mm, can't say I really remember that one.
2: Voyager is Warlord. The thumbnail is a crazy picture of Neelix, so super looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, that ought to be great.
2: I, honestly, frankly, I, I should be looking forward to a Neelix episode at this point. He is the best actor on that show. <laughs>
1: I know. The problem is that is he's the best of a bad bunch, and sometimes that means they try to give him the heavy stuff, and then you go, he's not quite up to it.
2: Listen, he almost got it in the episode where, uh, not Jerrock. What was his name in Voyager?
1: Well, it was the name of the episode. Jitrell. Thank you.
2: <laughs> in the episode, Jitrell, he almost carried off some pretty heavy war yeah, plots. So. He
1: went for it, but he just, I, he didn't quite match up.
2: And, uh, in uh, Enterprise, we have what I believe might be the last episode of season two. It is the Expanse. I
1: remember that one. And speaking of heavy, we're getting into some heavy territory with Enterprise. It's going to become a real aughts show starting next week. <laughs> it <Yep>. gets dark, <laughs> so get ready for that, everybody. I know that's what you wanted out of Enterprise.
2: Hey, as long as the never gets pawn far again. No, we're she be probably okay. won't. I don't know i don't know uh we're on twitter go ahead and tweet at us for the mailbag we've got a lot of tweets from ryan but they're pretty low content so hit us with some uh, <laughs> high right. content As stuff usual, if you
1: feel like it there will probably be some stuff in there where we have to guess what he's talking about and that's always a good quiz um i'm going back on the clock for the mountain goats so we'll do some of that next week
2: that's right we'll do probably the second half of the first round
1: yes um you can always find us at brotherdate.com including the mountain goats bracket uh itunes uh, all you stitcher heads out there we're sort of on that um <laughs> and yeah we'll be back next week
0: if you have an apple
1: don't worry about it. That's
2: not the What the fuck would he... Why would he say that? I know we've done this a bunch. He looks at a bowl of fruit. He's got a banana and a fucking orange. I don't know what else was in there. What?